There are some headlines to this event that are truly exciting. The Tony Stewart story today and the future starts now for Dale Earnhardt Jr. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. With me as usual is my co-host Mike Davis. How you doing, Mike? Doing well, buddy. We're in the Bojangles studio, and uh, yeah, I can smell those biscuits. Yes. They're yeah. across the room. Uh, we're so lucky to have such a great sponsor that we can actually enjoy while doing the show. That's right. Man, you guys line that up perfectly. Matthew's here, Hannah, everybody's in the house. How's everybody doing? I'm it's got my mouth full. All right. <laughs> yeah, doing Hannah. doing good here after a uh, busy weekend, obviously, with Atlanta, but we'll get into that here in a minute. That's right. Yeah. So we got a great show. Tony Urie Jr. is the guest, and uh, we've had Tony Urie on the show before, junior and senior, together. We talked about a lot of things, but there were some things that we didn't get to. We're going to get to those today. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll hear maybe a little bit different uh, version of the story having them separated the Yuris because <laughs> right. they yeah they, they, might, they might not tell the whole story when one's in the same room but anyhow we, we really want to know what tony jr's up to today i see him everywhere and so uh really curious as to to how he's spending his time and i think everybody's going to enjoy what he has to say um but anyways let's go right into dirty air sponsored by filter time dirty air you got it dirty air is brought to you by filter time there's no better way to deal with dirty air then with a filter subscription service that takes care of the hassle and takes that out of buying air filters for your home. They're delivered right to your door. So every time they show up, you know when to change them. Go to filtertime.com and subscribe now. But this is our dirty air. So let's go. Okay, man. So let's get right into it. Uh, Atlanta, Mike, you watched the whole race. I was there as a broadcaster. And uh, first off, we're going to Atlanta for the first time since they reconfigured it. We know we had the race there in March, watched that one on the TV, but hadn't been there in person. And one thing I need to let everybody know is that, yes, they reconfigured it. You can see that, obviously, when you're watching the race, if you've been watching Atlanta for years. But when you go see it in person, it, you, you just, it looks incredible. And and what I mean by that is like the steep banks, and it's just this awesome ribbon of asphalt wrapped around this this infield, and it looks better in mm. person, right? So you know, people always say when you're watching sports games, man, yeah, that was exciting. What what a great energy! Can you hear the you can hear the the, the fans cheering? And uh, but when you're actually there in person, uh, you feel it. Yeah. yeah, right. You the energy you 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 become part of it, right? And so I guess that's that's what I think I want to encourage everybody uh, because this is an incredible racetrack. They made some really cool changes. The track's going to continue to improve to provide better and better racing as that surface continues to age, and it's already providing some pretty exciting racing now. But I think I really want to encourage everybody to go see it, like go see it in person and and get you a ticket parking space in the infield or a grandstand ticket so you can see these cars going around this track we were sitting there with about 20 laps to go in the xfinity race and before i knew it it was the white flag they are going around this racetrack as fast as they go around daytona and talladega but it's almost a half a mile to a mile shorter 
Yeah. So, and, so the, the visuals have to be insane. Well, the lap is like quicker. Yeah. And so it's like 18 to go, 19 to go, 18 to go, 16 to go, 17, you know. It's clicking off. Can't count. It's, <laughs> it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's 19, 18, 17, 16. It's happening. Boom, 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 boom. And before you know it, like it's five to go, then it's one to go, and then it's over. And so what, what's interesting about that and why that matters is that the intensity is higher while you're watching that race than you've than I've ever felt before ever ever in a race so the the oh. constant energy the constant intensity in the pack and behind the wheel is way higher for a steady consistent amount of the race and so where there are lulls like think let's let's talk about some other races okay Dover all right Pocono right great races mm-hmm. we go you'll, you'll watch it you'll go you'll visit you have a good time. You'll see a good race probably. But there's moments where, you know, you can get up, go get you a hot dog. You don't miss too much. You might come back, a couple cars, swap positions. At Atlanta, man, you can't take your eyes off of it. <laughs> you can't. You're going to miss something. Literally. <laughs> I knew this. I knew you felt this way because you were giddy that entire broadcast. Like when your octaves go up like you just did right there, that's when you know you're having fun yeah. and you're loving what you're watching. And it was like that from the beginning. Like when you got – when the, when the broadcast came on, you were on a 10, and you never came down to a 9 or 8. But it's consistent with what you're saying of what you saw on the track. Like yeah. You could not come down. You could not take it easy. The energy was just always there. Yeah, it was a good weekend. And so we got there, and uh, rain washed out qualifying, so we didn't get to work the uh, qualifying shows and kind of get – it kind of is a great way to get warmed up and just sort of, sort of you know, settle in for the, for the actual race broadcast. We get up there for the Xfinity race, and nobody knew what we were going to see. None of the drivers knew what we were going to see. We didn't know whether they were going to be in side-by-side pack for, you know, 10 rows deep. We didn't know what was going to happen. And they, they start the race, and everybody's uh, really, out of, you know, everybody's uncomfortable and loose and out of control. They were getting, you know, they were packs were splitting up, and, car, you know, there were people coming and going, and it was good racing. So one thing that I – to, to be quite honest about it, when they reconfigure this track, a lot of the drivers were very, you know, critical yeah. of that decision. Atlanta was great, but just just, just repave, you know, if we got to repave it, just repave the current track. Don't, don't change anything, right? Everybody was worried, and um, and rightfully so. There was there was good reason to be concerned. You know, there's been a bad track record with reconfig- you know reconfigurations at like the turn one and two at Texas, and and maybe you know some people not 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 really in love with Bristol, and so. Um, there was some concern that, that they were there was going to be a mistake made here. Anyways, we thought we were going to see Daytona and Talladega-style racing, you know, two-by-two, three-by-three, all the way through the very end of the pack, super easy to hang on to the draft. It was going to be all about the draft and making the right move at the right time. Uh, handling and all those things wouldn't be a factor. Well, that was wrong because this weekend in the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series race, handling was terribly critical drivers were on the radio screaming about their cars being uncomfortable and um and you you know it 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 really made the racing exciting because yes there was the drafting super speedway element but the drivers had their hands full and and man when we can watch these guys on the edge and and almost busting their tail and sometimes doing that sometimes spinning these cars out we don't want to see these guys just spinning out all the time and wrecking, but 
to know that they're being pushed to the limit or challenged and on that ragged edge, to know that they're going through that and experiencing that as we're watching them go around the track makes a, makes a viewer appreciate what they're seeing. And so and the Xfinity race was incredible. You know, there was, there was some good excitement there. Austin Hill is a great race car driver, especially when it comes to racing at Talladega and Daytona and, and Atlanta. The new, the new Atlanta, he seems to excel really well there. So, uh, you know, pretty cool. And then, obviously, Sunday <laughs> was a whole – Sunday was a different race. Oh, yeah. There was some – you know, there, there was more – the cars were a little more packed up. They have different aero and horsepower and so forth than what we would have on the, on the Xfinity race on Saturday. So, of course, it looked a little different. But still, one of the things that freaking stood out to me right away, and I think the reason why I got right up on my toes at the start of that race and stayed there was when the race started at stage one at a plate race. Usually, stage one at a, at a restrictor plate or a uh, – I call it a plate race. We don't really run plates anymore, but at a track like – Daytona Talladega, that first stage is pretty tame. Nobody wants to make any big mistakes. Don't want to have a big crash. Takes a lot of cars out. Whatever was going on, that was, you know, in that first stage, that was not happening. No, lap one. I mean, Kyle Larson about wadded it up on lap one. Well, he he was just, he hadn't had a lap in the car, was just shocked about, you know, some guys are going to miss it, right? So he, his team missed it. Cendrick's guys missed it. Yep. They had to work all race to get their cars more competitive, which they did. They did, yeah. But what I was really surprised by, by was when somebody had a run to, to pass the leader, they didn't just shove him and stay in line because it's the first lap of the race or the third lap or the fifth lap. They went and passed him. Yeah. Sometimes the drivers, me included, are like, you know what, I don't need to pass the guy, I'm going to push him. And that sounds like a great idea because I'm being smart. And I'm going to be in a better position at the end of the race because I'll still be here because I didn't do something stupid early. But now when I'm a broadcaster, I hate when I see a guy not, you know, have a good enough run to, to make a move to the front and not take it. It drives me crazy. Because I'm a viewer and a broadcaster, I want to see action. Yeah. I want to see passing. And I saw a guy with a chance to pass, not pass. That pisses me off, <laughs> right? But, you know, as a driver, I totally am on, I'm on the other side of it. So... Right from the start of the race, those guys were – if you could get the lead, they took it. I know the clean air was so important, and that's why. when They had, they wanted to be in clean air because it was way more comfortable. And so every time they had an opportunity to pass for the lead, they did, and multiple times in a lap at times. Mike. I was going to say, you, you would take the lead, and then you better watch out because there's a slingshot coming every time. Yeah. Nobody took the lead without it being contested in the next corner. That's right. And so it was uh, – that was exciting throughout the race. There was also, you know, the, the drama with Ross and, and, and of course, Denny. The, the car he ends up getting into was Denny. I mean, th there was a couple things there. <laughs> you had Ross in the 19. So, you know, we talked about it on the broadcast. Ross and, and Truex had had a little disagreement at Dover. And, you know, and, and, and it wasn't really settled. You know, Truex still pretty annoyed with the guy and thinks he thinks he hadn't, you know, not going to change the way he drives. Uh, Truex doesn't really appreciate the, the way he drives, and, and Ross doesn't, ha doesn't see a problem with it, right? So they go, uh, to, they go into the corner, and Truex is not comfortable. Even after this, you could see when Truex got back to the front when he was the lead car, and he, guys, were, he was a little slow. 
whether it was drag or whatever, um, his car was a little slow, and so the guy behind could get to him so easily and, and would push him, and he wouldn't get pushed out. He wouldn't, it wouldn't create momentum for Truex, so they'd push him and go down the corner, and he's still on their nose. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going through the corner, literally bumper to bumper, and Truex is, is out of control. But the guy behind's going, damn, dude, I'm trying to push you, and you're not, your car isn't going anywhere. And so now they're in the corner, and Truex is sideways. So we, I saw this afterwards, so I knew Truex, Truex's car was a big reason why the thing with Ross happened in turn one and two. Ross pushes him into the corner, and, and Truex has to lift because his car's out of control. He's lifting, lifting, lifting. Ross is like waiting, waiting, waiting. Ross is lifting, too. Ross is like, I, I'm trying not to hit you, trying not to, but at some point, like, I, I, I can't I stop go. my car, right? right? Yeah, and so finally he ends up getting, you know, Martin turned around, and they all spin out and crash. And uh, crazy that some of those cars could return to the track, right? Like Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, we talk about how vulnerable these cars have been all year, but they, they showed some durability this this week. I agree. And so, like, Joey Logano went airborne. You're right. I was just getting ready to say that. So, th- you know, it's, I think it's great that those cars were able to continue and still be competitive. And, um, you know, there's a balance that's important to find between making the cars durable so the drivers can beat and bang so we can, you know, they're not scared to touch each other or the wall. We used to have, you know, with the, with the sheet metal cars, they, they were scared to bang into each other because it was such a critical uh, it would it would um, hurt the arrow of the car so much they couldn't be competitive anymore. So you better not touch anything. Well, now at least they can be more aggressive with that. So that's good to see. But uh, I think there's still some areas where they can. You know, the cars are so rigid. The impacts are a little bit tough. At some of these some of these impacts are kind of tough. And they're working on that. And they're they're trying to develop new stuff to make that better. But they're learning a lot as these cars are getting crashed. So we learned a lot during the race at Atlanta about wrecking these cars and, and what, what, what they like to see in these accidents and what they want the cars to do and how they want the, you know, the cars to, uh, to deform. So it, so it's a, it's, it's not as the driver doesn't take so much of that impact, but, um, you know, we saw the three car Austin Dillon hit the wall a ton. Oh man. I told him, I said, y'all need to slow that down. Show that, show that angle of him getting into the wall right there and slow it down so we can watch that safer barrier deform. Wow. It was, yeah, it was a great shot. And, and then Austin gets out and says, Hey, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't too bad. You know what? I've, I've hit the wall as it was a hard hit, but, but I expected him to get out and say similar to what Harvick did at St. Louis. Harvick got out and said, you know, when he blew his rotor into turn three and hit the wall driver's side, he's like, that was hard as i've ever hit you know, mm-hmm. that was one of the hardest that was not fun so um but then when austin watched it i love that moment of the broadcast yeah. when he watches it and i think it's the the actual replay that you're talking about because he's not in the shot he you see everybody else wrecking and then all of a sudden the three comes and he's watching it on that little monitor right by the camera which he's being interviewed on and he goes wow that was a big hit <laughs> yeah so that there was some moments like that where i thought we really did a good job as a broadcast and and uh you know, just the race, we had a lot of content, a lot of things to pull from, a lot of things happening that helped helped us put on a great show. But uh, I was really proud of the job we did. You know, I know a lot of people are thinking that we were heavy on the Chase Elliott stuff, but we leaned into that because we were in Atlanta. We were in Georgia. That's Elliott. You know, Bill Elliott is from that area. That's their home track, and that, that race means a lot to Chase. We leaned into that early. Yeah. You know, and that could not have worked out better for you guys. Or worse. You wow. Know, well, a lot of people think that, you know, we 
we set the whole thing up. It's a big fix. But he won. Two thousand one, July oh, Daytona. All right. Well, yeah. look, I, I'm sorry, but I, I thought myself. I'm like, okay, we're doing the live hits from the Dawsonville pool room. Yeah. Okay, this could be a little. This could end up being a little hokey. But but when at the end of that broadcast, when they're hooking up the uh, the, the car battery to yeah. the siren. Perfect. That was amazing. That's yeah. like who knew that's how they used. I had no, that was the most redneckiest, uh, you know, uh, result yeah. of a situation. I mean, I could not have imagined that that's how they did that, and yeah. that's exactly how they did. I love that. It was a great moment. I always envisioned, you know, they talked about the siren since Bill Elliott, you know, in the '80s, and I always envisioned this big giant like air horn, sort of, you know, like the horn off of a train, but it's this <laughs> tiny fist size, you know, Amazon. Four dollar siren, I, dude. I'm, and it's on the top of this pole. The pole's like uh, five, six inches around. You right. know? It's like and this tiny little siren, smaller than the they have diameter of the pole. And then they hook it to a car battery. Somebody has to pull it up. Pull oh my gosh! Pull up that Camaro so Listen, we can get this thing going. I got, and that makes me. I gotta say, man. So I've worked with Rut before. He gets a hard time, and I know people don't really understand. Where, what his role in the show is. A lot of people in the past have sort of had, they, they, they I think they have a hard time like break, break, fitting, breaking away from whatever we're doing, whatever's happening in the race to talk about, you know, what Rutt's doing. And Rutt's trying to show us something, right? Fans, uh, activities at the racetrack. This year, I think they have him in absolutely the perfect role to complement our races. And I absolutely believe that what he does especially this year, complements our racing. So they're they're calling it Rut City View. And so if we haven't picked up on it by now, when Rut is at the, you know, when he's on the we, at the racetrack on the weekends with us, he might not be there every weekend, but when he is, he will be in a in a local area around the town, around the racetrack that and he'll connect the city or town to the track, right? He did this with Nashville, which was obviously a super easy connection. Dawsonville with the racetrack and, and Chase and the family history. So every time we go to an event, Rutt's going to tell us why that track matters to that community or a community close by, right? Road America, mm-hmm. he did a great job there. That He made me want to be in that bar drinking beer during the race, mm-hmm. right? He made me wish I had went to Elkhart and hung out in that town. Yeah. Because right. of the charm right. in that town. He did a good job showcasing what that was all about. And so for me, I am now looking forward every week to what Rut is going to show us about, you know, Brooklyn, Michigan or, or Loudoun, New Hampshire or whatever, right? All these towns, because I know some of these spots. I know some of the things going on outside of the racetrack, some of the cool the ice cream shop down the street or whatever it is yeah. that everybody goes to after practice. The fans need to know about these places. The fans need to know about them because when they want to buy a ticket to these racetracks, now they've got some places to go enjoy, yes. some key, key, key locations around that racetrack that they know uh, – they know the story to and the yeah. connection to. So I think it's a great way to use Rut. I know a lot of people give him a hard time sometimes, but I'm so uh, I think I think they we finally found like a, the the great fit where the whole broadcast really works well. And so uh, I was yeah I had a great time in the booth. Man, coming I just put this on my story on Instagram. Coming up the elevator to get into the booth to work Sunday, they we get to the elevator and they're holding it right. 
uh, for me and uh, me and uh, Jeff Burton. And they're like, hey, man, the lights don't work, but it's the elevator's fine, okay? And I'm like, wait, it ain't. Are you sure? Because the light, if the, the light's not on, it's dark. I'm like, I'm going to walk in this elevator with just Jeff Burton, and the door's going to shut, and it's going to be pitch dark. And so I grabbed my phone and turned it on so I could video Jeff so I'd have some evidence in case anything happened in there. And so <laughs> he, I pick my phone up, and I start videoing him. He's got his phone out, and he's videoing me. And... Um, it was it was just a funny little moment there, and uh, the light. As soon as we we start moving up, and we almost get to the second floor, which is where the suite is that we're going to work in, and the light pops on. I had there were so many little funny moments like that with Jeff. I love working with him. We do front of the grid together. So th- this season, the broadcast will be much more uniform in terms of you'll see us in the same positions each week. Where in the past, okay, yep. over the years, they moved us around. We'd be doing something different every week. I'd be at the front of the grid, then I'd be up, you know, I'd be over on a mountain or whatever, right? Or I'd be at the top of the grandstands, or might not might not be there at all, right? Or I'd be in the booth. So they have uh, decided that you know you're going to have a role. This is your role. Me and Burton do front of the grid in one of the very first segments of the pre-race show, and then we go to the booth. And so me and him have a little hit at the front of the grid. We talk about whatever we want. We did that before the Xfinity race and the Cup race. We'll do it every week, and I'm um, looking forward to that. The um, I know I'm bouncing around. This coming weekend, we go to New Hampshire. You, you know what that means? Uh, it means you're going to eat lobster? No. It means you're going to the track where Jeff Burton led every lap? I'll be doing play-by-play again. You're doing play-by-play this weekend? Yeah. Well, you might as well have done it this past weekend, if I might say. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, every time you, you were just – you won the word count award. Did I? Oh, yeah. It was, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't apologize. Hey. You, let's those, call it a rehearsal. Yeah. Call it a at rehearsal. Those, I will just say, man, at, the, at, day, at, the, at Talladega, at Daytona, at Atlanta now, that it's the way it is, it's hard for me not to speak – because, I mean, every second I'm seeing something develop, something about to happen, something somebody's doing something to, that's going to create something. <laughs> Dude, it was hilarious. My mind's going 100 mile an hour. I love it. They throw it down to Marty Snyder for a pit report. We've got two tires for Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, and you hear in the background, holy sh- they spit it and whatever, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, oh, my gosh. And then you go, uh, you know, Rick Allen's trying to – Work in some sponsor plug, you know, or whatever. And then you hear, oh, my God, look, he's going for it. He's got momentum. And it's like in the background. And I'm just – I'm dying laughing the whole time because you're you're just going to – you're going to call it. I mean, it don't matter where you're at. It yeah. don't matter what's happening. You cannot not speak up. Yeah. And that – it's literally – it's not like that every week for me. I'm certainly, you know, one to talk on top of these guys. And, and <laughs> not, I don't I'm – not, I'm not really uh, – it's there's four guys in the booth, and so if you sit and wait on an opportunity, you'll be waiting. I, there's times like even even Sunday, if you really listen to the race, there's some times where I personally just sat there and let them guys go, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I don't if I'm not aggressive, I don't get in that's the right. conversation. I I believe it. There was a race in Pocono. It's like my second or third race in ever. Right, my first year in 2018. I think my second race. And the race starts, and I literally said eight words in the first stage. And the stage ends, and I was so mad. And I I was mad at myself. I was a little mad at the booth and my butt, you know, my guys. 
Steve and them, and and I was just like I didn't know I didn't understand like what to do, right? And I felt like I didn't. I felt like uh, I didn't. You know, you know me, man. I'm I'm kind of I'm not one to interrupt. I'm not one to to barge in or interject into a conversation. I don't think. And so, uh, anyways, off to the side, I said to Steve like during the break. Uh, I said, "Dang, man, I didn't, I didn't get to say a whole lot. That was, uh, that was frustrating as hell. I'm so frustrated right now." And Jeff and Steve both said, "We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna wait on you. We ain't gonna turn and look at you and go, all right, what, what do you think, Dale? You're gonna have to barge in. You're gonna have to interrupt. You're gonna have to be aggressive." That's what they said. And so from that moment <laughs> on, you know, and and there's races where, you know, you kind of lose your way and and. It's interesting. You wouldn't even think about this stuff actually happening in the broadcast booth or in the mind of a broadcaster. But there's times when you kind of you kind of lose your 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 way a little bit or get get the the strategy goes away from you and you're not quite. You really don't you don't know everything, right? You don't know every. You're not freaking perfectly on top of everything that's happening. And so there'll be moments where I just I've got I ain't got dad. Like yeah. the strategy's so crazy that I just got to let Steve handle it, right? Right. But that's what he—that's that's what, what he's, he's good there at. for. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not going to tell people what the pit strategy is. I'm going to go, hey, Steve, tell everybody what the pit strategy is, even if I knew it. Right. Right. That's his role. That's his job. But I thought I feel like it. You know, at at Atlanta this weekend, I felt like I kind of knew what was getting ready to happen or what was coming, or and it was exciting. It yeah. was ex- so exciting to watch and talk about. And uh, I wanted people to know that it was exciting. I feel like that if you're at the racetrack, it's absolutely obvious. The energy and the intensity, you feel it, you see it, you're watching it. But for the bro- you know, the people at home that are sitting on their couch, I think that they need uh, – the, the broadcast has to bring that energy to them, right? Uh, I think the MRN guys, radio guys, are perfect at that. Yep. They're high energy, and they, they, they make you, uh, you know, feel like you can almost see what's happening. And I feel like that that's a big important role for the broadcast. But I think it, it is. Let me let me just say, I don't even want to bring this up if you feel one bit of regret on the way you did that. No, I think it no, was no. so good because it was the. To be honest with you, it was Chicagoland slide job. Was that Chicagoland? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Chicagoland slide job excitement. Yeah. That 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 was <laughs> what it sounded like, and I think that that's intoxicating. Yeah. Frankly, I liked it. Hey everyone, Dirty Mo Media President Mike Davis here. Excited to tell you about one of our newest sponsors at Dirty Mo, Airbnb. The irony here is that Airbnb is new to Dirty Mo Media, but Dirty Mo Media is not new to Airbnb. It has been accommodating us for years. And if you are a race fan, and I think you are, you know why. I mean, you've booked hotels at, uh, during a race weekend. They're, the prices are insane. You're stuck with these unreasonable multi-night minimums. Whereas Airbnb, you got many choices all within proximity, and it ends up being way more affordable. Now, I'm not only a frequent Airbnb guest, but my wife and I are also Airbnb hosts. And you should be too. We've been doing it for years. I'll tell you why. We have an investment property that we realized it could be earning additional income through Airbnb. You don't have to have an investment property to do that. You could just find extra space in your home. That works too. It all could be making you some extra cash. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I do want to get back to the race in Yeah, a I do too. Let's I, talk about that. I want to go back to Denny and Ross Chastain yeah. real quick. Did I not say that these guys are all talk? Did I, I, I said that a few weeks ago. Like, we'll just say you said that. I, 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 well, you I did. did. I said okay. these guys sit there and they'll say in an interview that they're going to get them back and that, that's the last time they got one coming. And I'm here to tell you, 
Denny Hamlin ain't going to do a dang thing to Ross Chastain unless Denny is out of the playoffs and Ross is in the playoffs and, and there's something to lose. I think Denny has too much to lose. I think Ross is not – he's going to race this way, and I don't think any of them guys are going to do anything about it. Yeah. Unless there is literally – I don't think they're going to let him win a championship, but I do think that this is just this all talk. Yeah. I, I, like, again, Ross did nothing different. Nothing different from a few weeks ago. I have to argue, I have to argue with that, Mike, because I think it, I think at St. Louis Ross was more intentional, and at Atlanta he it was a pure misjudgment mistake. Does Denny care? No, but you there. So Ross didn't do the same thing in both races. This race was just a mistake, albeit a a, a terrible mistake. You can't one you can't make. Like you got to be a good enough driver to say oh, I'm going to get tight here, so I'd, I'd better lift before I hit the car beside me. Most guys got that figured out, right? Especially guys that have been doing it as long as Ross at St. Louis. Ross really went in there to send him. Ross ran in the back of the 11 and one and two to send him, right? He did that. That wasn't a mistake. He hit him on purpose. He aimed to hit him. But since, you know, since St. Louis has happened, we were expecting Ross to polish up his aggression a little bit, right? Stay aggressive. Stay wild. Well, maybe, you know, my opinion. Stay Ross, but I don't know, maybe clean it up a little bit. And that what you know he he didn't right he didn't clean it up. I said it on the broadcast. Part of me wants him to change. The other half of me doesn't want him to change at all. I think for Ross's long term success, does he have to change? Probably not. But he better be able to withstand. He better be able to handle all these drivers being frustrated with him, and he has to be around those drivers all the time. They're in and around each other everywhere they go. Uh, dinners, conferences, meetings, events, driver's intros. And if he can handle that, if he can handle all these guys mean mugging him everywhere, then that's fine. Then Ross, Ross, Ross is okay, right? 100% okay because if that's the worst that's going to come out of it, and I think that's it. They don't like you. They may not talk yeah. to you at dinner. Big freaking deal. But my gosh, man, I mean, like all these guys, you know, Austin Dillon even took a little shot at him in his interview. A couple of them. I mean, Ross every Listen, week is going to take shots. In, he's going to get his shots in interviews. Let me, and I think that that is just empty calories. All right. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. You know, it's easy when you got a mic in front of you to say something smart, Alec. It's super easy to do that. And so, and we do it, right? Everybody does it. But Ross, I think, you know, the 10 car. Almirola was annoyed with him. Talking about it on the radio. Um, Hope I don't see him at the food, food line. line. So, it's uh, hilarious, by the way. I was watching them race, right? And I'm watching them, I'm watching them to go at it uh, before. And I'm watching... Uh, Ross ain't doing nothing, you know. Ross is racing, the t mm. you know, just racing the ten. He didn't. He's not slamming into him and 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 cutting him off, running him in the wall or nothing. But he's racing him hard, uh, close side drafting, annoying. He's annoying him, right? Mm. But he's not racing him any different than you know a lot of other guys out there on the track that are racing him. I don't even want to name names, but there's some guys out there that side draft aggressively. Or race you, you know, drift up the track into your side and get close to you. Ross has the reputation now that just a little thing 
like that that's a small annoyance, guys are too quick or quicker, too quick to jump on Ross. Right. Be get it, you know, yes, yeah, Ross. Right. Sparks a bigger reaction. Oh, yeah. So that's something that'll be interesting going forward. And that's a, that's a, that's not a good thing for Ross, right? If Ross is trying to, this is the, this, this would be the problem or one problem with, with Ross's future successes in the immediate future to try to go for winning a playoff, right? If he really, if he's, if it's that easy to, to fire up any driver out there, a guy like Amarola or, or anybody, uh, then, then it's going to be harder for him to negotiate and navigate week to week going through the playoffs because he's not going to tiptoe around these guys. He's going to annoy them. He's going to, you know, he's not going to walk on eggshells around all these drivers Oh, I'm sorry, man. I've been I've been a bad, you know, been rough over the past couple of weeks. Let me let me show you I can race clean. He's not going to do that if he thinks that they're actually capable of doing something back, which I don't think they are. Well, it's almost like okay, there's a minefield out there, yeah. and you're going to go tiptoe around a minefield. But what if you got information that actually those are all dummy mines? They're yeah. not actually going to go explode. You'll run right through it like a freaking linebacker sacking a quarterback, well, and it ain't going to matter. That's true, and but that's the way I think these guys do. They sit there and talk. If, so if for the if we could have taken a camera and put put the camera just on Ross, you will also see that these guys are taking swipes at him. Okay. All right. They're as he's going out there and annoying these guys as he dry, you know he's in the back of the pack because of the nineteen incident in turn one and two. He's trying. He's getting his car patched up, trying to work his way back through the pack. And every other car, or every two or three cars, he does something that annoys them, and they they make contact. You know. They either swipe back at him, or they get you know they they try to try to stand their ground, and there's there's a little more there's beating and banging, and so uh, I feel like that, you know, if Ross is going to have to, I don't know, man, right? I think that it's going to be a difficult path for Ross because that is happening. Like as the race is going on, we're not you know you, a lot of things that we're not all seeing, right? I know where he finished. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, dude, I'm telling you, man, I. People ask me like, "What's the deal? What do you, What do you think?" Part of me thinks I want him to change. Another half of me, wants oh, I don't want him not to change. change at all. I listen. I I don't want him to change. I like what he's doing. Yeah. I I like having a guy out on the track to do that. It's great for storylines. It's great for fan what watching. Would, I'm what just would, saying these drivers. It's just so. It's right, almost like well, hypocritical right. to me. So Ross gets out of the car and says, "That wasn't nothing like St. Louis." Yeah. All right. I'm not no real apology. Right. Which is fine. He doesn't have to apologize. That was interesting. To see a different reaction yeah, out of him. I was curious if he was going to go, you know, all self-deprecating again. When they again. said we got a Ross, we got a Ross interview. We're getting ready to go to. I was about to hit the. I was. We got a talk back button where we can just talk to the booth, so I can just I can just talk to Burton, Latart, and Rick, and only they can hear it. And I about hit that button and said, "I wonder how many apologies we'll get in this one interview." <laughs> and he didn't say nothing about that. No. And he's like, "To be honest with you, I don't see it as the same way." Which I thought was interesting because, no, no, no. Ross said, I don't see this as, he said, what happened today isn't like the same thing that happened at St. Louis. So I apologize for St. Louis, but I'm not apologizing for this because this wasn't the same thing. Is that not what? I don't remember them. Again, I didn't want to know if we wanted to bring this up, but in in the NBC interview with Ross Chassin, they didn't even bring up Denny. They didn't bring Denny up, but he said that he didn't, feel like that the two races were the, the the two incidents were the same I, I saw the Denny interview I think Ross is fine 
I saw the Denny interview, and Denny's like, yeah, you know, he says, we're going to make it tough on it. Oh, okay, got it, Denny. No, he you're gonna said, make it, Denny said, you're gonna, you're Denny gonna, said you put, I've been pushed by, to my limit. Pushed push to your limit. Okay, yeah. got it. Push to your limit. Okay. <laughs> I thought it. it was already. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's my point. My, that's, I get my I, point I, there, I thought we were thought at the limit. Was. I mean, was Gateway, if Gateway didn't get you past the limit. <laughs> now, listen, it's very possible that Denny's waiting on – a moment in which it's not so obvious to take him out. I get that. Listen, I know that. But my point on this is that I don't think Denny can do anything to Ross until – because I think Denny has too much to lose himself. And, and, and frankly, there's too many people with high expectations of winning a championship, getting to the playoffs, winning races and all that stuff, That where if you even run a little bit of a chance to take yourself out – you ain't gonna do it. So I just, I'm just calling it like I see it. Like you know, after I, Gateway, I, these drivers were like, "Yeah, he ain't gonna finish his next race or whatever." They were talking big and bad. Chase Elliott was one of them, you know. But then you know, here it is. Yeah. Ross ain't. Ross is still finishing up at the up in the top five every week, and he's still doing the same thing he's been doing at Gateway. Yep. Maybe different intentions. Maybe one was an accident. One was it. But I just, you know, I think. All right. So this is it. This is it. For me, all right. I don't want Ross to change. <laughs> you just, I know. You I know. You're just, bracing yourself. <laughs> I know. Well, look. All right. So fifty percent. I said somebody doesn't. Somebody does. I gotta get off the fence. All right. <laughs> As a broadcaster and a viewer, I, Ross makes them interesting. Makes makes the races interesting. Pick pick a side. I know. I gotta pick a side. You gotta here. pick a side. Matthew's Kyle Petty. I'm sorry. The frosted side of my mini wheat doesn't want him to change. Pick pick that damn side. Yeah. You know. I don't want him to change because. Uh, it makes our broadcast interesting and it creates storylines. I think that somebody will do something. I don't know if it'll be Denny, but I think somebody will. He'll be on the other end of this. It's uh, everybody is right. He's not immune. He's, he'll be get, he'll get turned around somewhere. Somebody will make a mistake or get into him or do something even intentional maybe. And I'll be interested to watch his reaction. And I hope that it's anger, right? I hope that it's frustration. Yeah. Right. Not. Right. I hope he doesn't go well. I had it coming, right? Right. I hope I'm with you on that. Yeah, and so <laughs> I, I guess that's I'm I'm anxious to see that side of it, and uh, and I for Denny's sake hope he does do something, right? He's kind of been put in a position and backed against the wall to where, gosh, you got to do something, right? Doesn't he? I mean, I thought I thought so. Right, yeah. I thought so. He did a little bit in did St. He? Louis, though, you know, yeah, yeah. messing with him. But I thought like, what he did that was kind of like just like a little what like it, feather. I know. Tickle. I, I thought what he did in St. Louis was appropriate and perfectly Denny and funny. Uh, we all had a great laugh. But now <laughs> we've had this moment, and I think it, you know, it would be interesting to see what if Denny presented with the opportunity, what he chooses to do. Listen, it's 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 just simple. Either Ross continues to push y'all around, or he doesn't. He's not going to stop. He's pushing them around. Yeah, he's pushing the veterans around. Yeah. That's what's happening. I know we got to wrap. Want to say, hey, Corey LaJoy, stand up, dude. Everybody was pulling for that guy at the end of the race. What an amazing show of class and professionalism in his post race interview. Didn't toss blame. Said it was good racing. Said it was a good block. Said Chase was doing what he had to do, and he'd have done the same thing. I, I I couldn't have been more proud of one of our drivers in a in a in a difficult situation. Then dude goes to victory lane to congratulate Chase. I know he didn't win the race, but he did more for his career and for his future and for for himself 
uh, in that moment by choosing that path yeah. and making those particular decisions at, in that post-race. And so I just wanted to put a, put a point out there to Corey uh, and his fans and, and everybody who was pulling for him that day um, that I know he didn't get the grand prize, but, man, did he do everything else that he could possibly do to leave that racetrack with his career and his reputation in a better place. So, good job, Corey. I've got one question. Yep. Matthew, don't yell at me. I'm sorry. I've been wanting to ask you this. In hindsight, in yep. hindsight, what could Corey have done to win the race? I don't know. I was talking to uh, some guys here in the shop that were watching the race as well, Josh Berry. There was a moment, I guess, in, uh, with two to go down the back straightaway. There was a couple times when Corey had the lead. Maybe he could have been a little more aggressive with his blocks uh, to slow, slow down some of the moves that were coming from behind. It was going to be hard to keep that nine car behind anybody because he just had a lot of speed. Uh, so maybe maybe Corey will, will will relive some of the final laps in the race, thinking about some of the ways he might could have defended the lead, uh, as difficult as that would have been. Uh, I really don't know that he could have done anything different getting into turn one. He faded toward the bottom, and Chase right. did the exact same thing. Chase faded to the bottom to take away any real move there, and then as, so, as soon as he saw Corey go to the top which he knew was coming he goes he goes up the racetrack to to block that and Corey's I initially when I first watched the moment happen I thought Chase ran him in the wall when we watched it again I see that Corey bounces off the back end of the nine car and never actually gets up beside Chase and so Chase's block to me was pretty fair albeit late but I mean all the runs are happening four times as fast in that race than they happen anywhere else at Daytona or Talladega so uh, every block's going to be a late block in that in that in that situation, but it wasn't an it wasn't an extreme block. Put the guy in the fence. Ch uh, Corey bounces off the back corner, gets loose into the fence. He goes, and that's the end of the race. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Well, I'm super excited to have Ally support our podcast. They bring us the guest segment of the show and more times than not, this guest is an ally. It's important to have allies in your life professionally and personally. This particular guest, Mike, was both. Yes. Uh, he's a cousin. We grew up together, played together, and then we worked together in NASCAR, uh, Tony Uri Jr. He was your wingman, man. He was. And uh, boy, did y'all have some success together. And uh, I mean, but it wasn't all great. Nope. Like, y'all had some tumultuous times. We were as like, well. we fought like brothers. Yeah. Uh, you know, pro publicly on the radio <laughs> and uh neither one willing to back down uh and it would uh and then you'd get out and go hey man no hard feelings didn't you know nothing personal we're gonna be fine slap each other on the back move on down the road we're gonna talk about all that today get into the cup series uh experience with him at the bud car and at hendrick motorsports obviously tony jr has been going and doing all kinds of things since those days can't wait to hear everything about that and what he's got going on now so let's go ahead and get him into the show Tony Jr. on the Dell Jr. Download.
The fans are going absolutely crazy. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes to the checkered flag and wins the 2,000 running of the Winston. He made some breathtaking moves inside, outside. He had the car to get it done, but he also had the driver ability to match the equipment he had, and he pulls it off tonight. With two tires, so I said, we got to put on four tires. We didn't come here to run second or third. We came here to win, and, and that's the only way we was going to do it. Uh, Tony and the guys done a good job. Made the right calls tonight. We made some gutsy calls. Oh, with the new tires, it's Budweiser Chevrolet. Bad. This is more common for us to start the season off like this, and it's very frustrating. Who takes the blame for the failed junior-junior relationship? Is it the driver's fault? Is it the crew chief's fault? Or do the two share the when blame? When you're dealing with family, and I know uh, Dale Jr. and Tony Jr. have a great relationship, but that can be one of the most difficult things. So obviously things. this has permeated the entire Hendrick Motorsports organization. This is more common for us to start the season off like this and it's very frustrating. Yeah, I've never seen two people, you know, get after one another and argue more and, and, and be able to, uh, to hug and make up at the end of the day more than those two. It's really, really hard to, uh, you know, break up that relationship. If, if I shake it up a little bit, everybody will stand up a little bit, and I think uh, we'll try some new things, we'll try some different things. Level of frustration, is it on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you, what would you put it at? Uh, it's a 10. <laughs> Look at this guy. Come on in. Hey, it's a safe place. Don't, be, don't worry. Don't be nervous. <laughs> you got one? <laughs> you like that? Hey, right. you, brought, you brought a friend. Oh, yeah, we got to go set up uh, the dirt car here just a little bit. Is that right? We got to get ready for tomorrow night. Well, so. tell us who this little guy is. This is Peyton. Um, this is my oldest right here, like four years ago. Yeah. Um, I adopted Peyton and his little brother, Eli. So uh, <clears throat> it's been a blessing to me and to them. Like, I've had a blast with them. It's, you know, that's one thing that uh, me and Tanya talk about now is like she asked me, you know, during our career and everything she said if there anything that you would ever change and i said you know i said i raced my whole life i said from the time we were 18 it was all about racing i ain't doing nothing else you know i didn't want at the time i was married to amy and she didn't want, you know i didn't want her to be a single mom and i didn't want to have kids and the older you get the more you realize that hey i'm the last yuri uh this is it mm. and i told her i said you know i said if i had anything to do over again i'd had kids i said you know, that's my only regret, you know, and it's like a year and a half later, these two boys show up, they need a home, you know, they were in a meth house and, uh, you know, I basically saved them and they saved me. So it's been, it's been a blessing both ways. I mean, I can't, you know, for, to go racing with him, Eli doesn't really care about the racing too much, but Peyton here, he loves it. Yeah. He just eats it up. So it's a, it's been a blessing. It sure has. Yeah, that's good to hear, man. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that it had. I mean, I know that you were, um, you know, one hundred percent committed, and it had been something, a decision, a life change that you had made. But to hear that it has impacted you so personally is 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 something profound. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I don't. I don't know what I'd do without them. You know what I mean? It's like we. You know, I. I just look at it as like, hey, man, it's like, I. You, you always look in life and you're saying, okay, well, what have I done? We've won Daytona 500s. We've won this and that. But at the end of the day, that's just something wrote down on a piece of paper. It's like, what did you leave, you know, yeah. behind? If you can help people, if you can, 
give people direction in life to make them better or whatever, but I've got a chance to make two kids that didn't have a life and give them one. Yeah. And that's that means more to me than anything. And, I mean, it's, you know, we, everybody has issues, everybody has problems, but it's like when you can give somebody a chance to live a better life, it's, it's, it's so cool, you know. We should uh, let all the podcast listeners at home know that um, there's four people at the table right now. We got uh, three three kids, <laughs> and then the adult here, Peyton, is playing with the with the cards on the table. And I just say, man, have at it, bud. I mean, this, if you're gonna have toys in here, might as well got to play with them, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> look at it. Hey, Peyton, if you want it, at any time, there's a chair. There's a chair. You can go back there. There's water back there if you want. You can have anything you want. This is your place. You want to say hi? <laughs> you want to you want to say hi to anybody? <laughs> you want to talk to anybody, buddy? He likes that wing car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wyatt's. So, uh, last time we was here, we had your dad on the show. Yes, sir. And uh, I don't even I don't even remember where we ended up. Uh, who knows? I remember, I think you guys were the first interview we had in this new studio at yeah. the time. We I don't even think we had a door on this uh, wall back here. It was still under construction. So, that's how long ago it's been. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, who knows where we went. Yeah. So, um, basically I want to kind of dive in, um, around a lot of, so one of the things we'll get right into the, the creativity part. So one of the things that we've started talking about with a lot of people that come in here is some of the things that they did creatively to their race cars. And most time it's best to ask crew chiefs, uh, some of the drivers like DW was pretty, pretty, uh, you know, transparent about the putting all the buckshot in the frame rail and, uh, you know, pull it, letting it drop out of the <laughs> jack post. He told a story. He's like, yeah, they, they, were, they were looking for that buckshot, and they were trying to figure out where it was coming from, and they put, they put the jack under the car and jacked it up, and when they jacked the car up, they basically sealed off the hole where they were going to be able to find it because the, ja- the jack post is on the jack. Right. And he's like, <laughs> they, they – and so he loved to tell that story. But And a lot – we did a show with – Spencer about the 2001 July race and he said that our car was fixed remember that oh yeah how pissed off we were yeah I don't know anything specific or I don't remember if I did know anything specific about our cars but I know that you guys were smart right and y'all got y'all were pushed by Slugger and the 15 group and by everyone else in the garage to to try to be as good as you possibly could be when we go to the plate races so you know if there. If there's anything you want to share, <laughs> ain't going to bother me. But, I, I mean. We want to know about the ones you didn't get caught well, with, I by wanna, the way. We know about the one at Darlington. Well, I know we had a little thing. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, I, like, Richie was great at building motors. They had, a, they had a really great intake. They were good at matching intakes with heads and all that and just spent a lot of time making sure everything was perfect. Yep. And we had this one specific engine that we insisted – was in our car and yeah that one engine one intake we wanted that every time every time and they're like well we got one better and i'm like i don't care i'll take that one right you know and so and we ran and won a lot of races and i still got that motor and so at least that you know the most of it whatever they when they put it back together i guess it's still the intake and all that yeah but uh a lot of people just find it hard to believe that we won all that stuff pretty straight up but i mean for the (laughs) most part listen I, i mean for the most part I know the I know we pushed boundaries, but they wasn't nothing on that car that was crazy like what we were doing 
you know, in like in 2012, when we were moving the rear ends around, and <laughs> which wasn't illegal. Right. You know, it just was till that. We, we made NASCAR ride a rule for that. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's what you do. It's like you, you have a car and you sit here and you fluff on it and you're pushing here and there, you know, and it's that's been in NASCAR racing for, for years. And it's just like, well, your job is, is to put take that thing to tech, put it on the very edge of it, and that official has to decide when you get in there, is that right or wrong? Or is that close enough? Well, close enough will win you a lot of races. Yeah. You know, and there's some stuff like you you always look at the procedures on how they do it. I mean, it's like if they're, hey, we're checking 25 templates on the first day. Well, if they ain't checking by 15, well, the other the other eight, I'm looking in that, that area. If I can, hey, move the quarter panel in a little bit. Hey, can I pull the fender in a little bit more? That's the things that we always looked at. But, you know, at, at that time, I mean, I remember in 2000, we went down there to Daytona, and we were and we were terrible. Big E was terrible. We were terrible. And we put on 15 bodies. We went to Taldegan, tested for three days. Come home, in four days, we put a complete body back on and went to Daytona. We were determined to, to get our Speedway program up to speed. You know, and I tell people all the time, I was like, during that year, I learned so much just because we were doing bodies. We were moving noses up and down, making them wide, airflow, everything. We're putting food coloring on the car so you could see where the air was going. And oh, it wow. was like all this stuff. We would go to Yuma. It was a five-mile oval that GM had. And we would go out there for three days, and we would have pages of stuff. And one day is nothing but the airbox. Just what's going on. Yeah, with, one day. You know, just with what the airbox is going. Because every time you change a cow panel – and you change uh, some kind of deflection or a ring inside the air cleaner, it changes the – it leans the motor in, richens it, or leans it. Mm-hmm. So Richie and them would keep up with that. So as we made changes to the cow, well, we would let them go back and tune it to it. Mm. That way you had a true – is yeah. it running or is it not? Yep. It was thorough. I remember we were, we were not only changing cow – parts but we would have to go out there and put the car in the perfect situations we'd have to see what that cow did leading then we'd have to see what that cow did behind the car and you know and we'd we'd get close to the wall and see if the wall change the pressure to cow yep. and doing you know so you're testing variable after variable and nothing like he's talking right now i don't know many teams that were that thorough yeah you know in terms of like you know okay they're not checking template 12 and 15 so i'm going to go over to the car and try to take advantage of that opportunity other thing i'll tell you about tony jr remember when we had those those wicker bills on the rear spoiler yep the whole so there was a template that fit in there uh that was the size of the spoiler that went under that wicker and so from the time we got to the racetrack till the time that car went on the track to race Tony Jr. was trying, was slowly moving that thing down, that wicker tighter and tighter until that template got to where it barely go in there. And then there was a length on that wicker, and we'd show up a little fat, and Tony Jr. would have a file on him all weekend long. Every time I'd go over there, he's over there gr- filing on that wicker. And I'm just looking at I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just getting a little closer. <laughs> getting it a little closer. We still get we got a little more we can take off. And I mean he there when the car got there, he wasn't done. You know, because once the car gets there, it's we put templates on it at the shop. 
But then the car gets there. Now the template's going. Now the now the NASCAR's putting their templates on it. And yeah. so he's got he's got he's seeing some other areas where man we could push a little here. We could push a little there. And if it was if he could grind a thirty second off of that little wicker, he did it. Hmm. And I didn't see every other team up and down the garage doing all that. And those that a little thirty second here and a tiny little thirty second there, and all that adds up, you know, hmm. and. Yeah, that, that's the, one of the biggest things is, like, the one thing that Dale Sr. always told us is, like, if I ever catch you cheating, I'll fire you. Is that right? Yeah. So it was like it was a deal to where you couldn't go blatantly just do something. You know, we, we couldn't. Yeah. You know, so you didn't want to take that chance. Because here's the other part of it is the minute that you do cheat, every win that you have is discounted. Like, nobody believes you've, you've done that, you yeah. know. If you're working within the rules and you're working with an official to whether he wants to determine whether, hey, that's right or wrong, well, that's on them. You know, it's like, you know, I, I used to laugh a lot of times because, like, you know, not, you know, Chad would always have to be at the top of the sheet qualifying. Yep, practice qualifying race. You, you don't think you and your daddy were like that? <laughs> yeah, we wanted to be. Yeah. But, like, when, like, we talked to you one time and you're like, I don't like starting on a pole. It's less fun. <laughs> Yeah. You remember, that's how we come up. We had to put Wilson in a car yeah. so you'd have somebody to talk to. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like. Uh, he says, I don't like starting on the pole. Yeah, he said, he said, I don't like that. He said, I like passing cars. I want to start in the back. And I'm like, well, it's a whole lot less work on Sunday yeah. if we can start towards the front. <laughs> Let's pass like five instead of 36. Oh, my God. You know, so. Oh, but so that was just one of the things that we kind of go around. But it's, you know, at the end of the deal, you know, our Speedway cars, like, we would go out there and we'd qualify 14th, you know. They weren't super fast and We had one time I had trouble getting through tech, and it still irks me to this day because, you know, when, when we was here with Danica, you know, I told her, I said, I've won everything down here but a pole. I mm. sat on the outside pole. Jeff Green won it. I had trouble getting through inspection. They kept me in the, gr- in the garage so long that when we come out of the garage, it was time for him to qualify, and we were on the five-minute clock. So I never had a chance to heat the oil up or anything. I was running down beside pit road, beside the car with it running, trying to get heat into the oil just mm. to get it. We pulled up there. He strapped in. He went out, and we qualified second. If I would have been out there 30 minutes earlier, had the oil plugged up, we'd be sitting on the pole yeah. for Daytona. You know, but, you know, so we went down there with, you know, with Danica. I sat on the pole. I was like, you know, she knew it was a big deal to me because that's the only thing we ain't ever done. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've sat on the outside pole, but I said, you never sit on the pole. And it's just like, but you just go there and you just kind of like, I mean, it's just like you say, you like, you have that spoiler with that wicker on it. Well, at the time they were not checking spoiler angles when they put that template on it. <laughs> so you just roll the thing back. Yeah. You can make it fit, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, and then you go up there and then the guy's like, okay, we're going to set your spoiler angle. Okay, great. And that, you'd set the spoiler angle. Well, now the temp, if they put the template in right at that point, it ain't going in. Yeah. But that was everybody in the garage could do it. You know, Chad was – I think he got thrown out of Daytona because he was running the track bar brakes up, Yeah. you know, and blowing the back glass up. They had an F3 that went across the windshield down the back glass across the roof. Well, we all went and bought these collars and put them on the track bar deal. So NASCAR would say, you can't have but three inches of split in your track bar. And you're like, okay. So you set it at two and a quarter, mm-hmm. a rake. Mm-hmm. And you – put your collar up against the little tube on the back glass and you let them put all their templates on and you go over to the last station, which is set to heights. 
And they're like, oh, your track bar is not three inches. Would you like to have it? I said, I would love it. And you sit there and go, <laughs> it, runs it, it runs it up and it's pushing the back glass I up like three it. quarters of an inch. <laughs> God almighty. You know, and I think Chad did it qualifying and they busted him. Well, they come down through there looking where everybody's, everybody's underneath their car, <laughs> taking them off. And we're like, sorry about that, Chad. You had to take one for the team there. Yeah. You know, but it was stuff like that. It's like people drilling holes in the window bolts. Like that 10, 30 second, you're just trying to bleed air out of it and you drill it. And so. What would that do? It would just. Try to help get air out of the inside of the car to pressurize, you know. So why would that slow the car down if it was pressurized inside? Just the way the air's you're pulling the air out of the A post over there. You know, however we put the NACA duck, we'd shove it up as far as we could on the right side, in the right side window because it would suck air out of the car and not put it in. Dang. And he's like, I'm hot. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, there's dust particles. They're not moving inside the car. I'm like, they're not supposed to be. <laughs> So, dude, we, I, like he's not. Te- he doesn't. So we don't. He we don't. He don't tell me. He's like, man, we're doing this because of this, and be ready. You know, this is how it's going to be. I get to the racetrack, and I'm driving down the back straightaway, and I'm literally like, there's but there's. I can see dust particles floating around in here. How's that possible? I'm going 200 mile an hour around the track. There's no air moving inside the car. That is literally impossible. And I said, y'all, it's hot as hell in here, and the air's not moving. I can see the dust. Tony He's Jr's like, I'm like, sorry. Tony Jr's like, perfect. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> One of the biggest things that he he always hated was like you get a brand new car, you know, and it'd be great, you know, and they'd paint it nice and everything. And first run, the exhaust would cook the paint right off the right side rocker. And he'd come in coughing, carrying on. He's like, you're trying to kill me. You're trying to kill me. And we're like, no, it'll be gone in a minute. Just chill out. Just, just take it. Just breathe it. Just breathe, <laughs> breathe it for a minute. I'm like, why don't y'all just not paint that part? Like, tape over it and just don't paint it, maybe? We're like, God, it don't look a, as good. Hey, it stunk. You talk about how thorough they were with the test and all that stuff, and I was just sitting here thinking – it's a good thing you had somebody just love test sessions, right? Oh, like yeah. Like, just showed up to them yeah. ready to go and ready to be thorough all day, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I think we've talked about Darlington before, you know, with the whole deal. He's doing donuts with the yeah. tires, yeah. Yeah, he comes in. He's like, I don't like this set of tires, Junior. I'm like, well, they ain't got but 30 laps on them. You got to run 80. So, we ain't got but two more sets. You can't have another set. Well, I want another set. You're not getting another set. I mean, Pops will kill us if we put them on. We're not, not happening. Okay. He's pissed. Put the window up. Goes out. He runs like ten laps. He comes in that garage. Goes up there. When he comes around that the garage part of it, he just starts doing a burnout like he won the race. <laughs> just <laughs> Jimmy Finning and Mark Martin. You can't see them down there. They can't, they start walking our way, and they're like, "What? What was that?" <laughs> and we're like. He wanted a new set of tires because he comes rolling in, he pops the window net, he says, I guess I'll get them tires now, won't I? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was only like that because of them. I was not like that until I met them. (laughs) Y'all are killing me already, dude. Oh, I bet we could do, we could fill up a whole show about test sessions, right? Just stories that happen at test sessions. Like, I always wonder. Oh, wait. Yeah, there's one we've, we've told on here, but I don't know. We were at. I'm thinking Iowa. No, we were You're, we were at uh, Homestead, and oh, yeah. we're in the AC Delco car, and so we went. There were a I, you know if we were repeating what we did on the last episode, you'll have to forgive me. But we went to Homestead. I'm driving the AC Delco car. I'm we have a pretty decent first day, and then we all went and got drunk. Oh, all yeah. right. 
So we go out to eat, and then we go to the bars and stuff at night, and we got drunk. I mean, pool, uh, furniture in the hotel, hotel per- furniture in the pool drunk. Damn. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so, yeah, it was wild. And so uh, we get up the next day, and I'm telling Tony Jr. and Sr., I'm like, I can't drive. I am sick. I'm about to throw up. And they're like, well, go throw up. Go do it. And I'm going in the bathroom every 30 minutes trying to puke so I can start feeling better, laying up in the lounge of the truck and air conditioner. They're all out of the car just finding things to do. Finally, around 10 o'clock, 11, 11 o'clock, Tony Sr. comes up in the truck and says, we got a test. Like, you got to fucking pull it together. And <laughs> you, we got to run some laps. So I'm like, all right. I go out there and I ran and I come in. <laughs> And Tony Jr.'s like, dude, you are two seconds slower than you were <laughs> yesterday. Tony Sr. ain't even got to the car yet. Tony, Tony Jr.'s like, Yeah. I was like, man, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what I pulled in. I said, I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't, I can't tell what's going on. It don't feel great. Uh, he's like, yeah, you're way off. And so I said, let me try again. So we go back out there and run slow. And uh, we test the whole entire day, and we're like, we didn't get within three quarters of a second of what we did the day before. It's way <laughs> off, and everybody's scratching their head, and Tony Sr.'s getting angry, and everybody's wondering what's going on. And of course, you know, it, I, I'm thinking it's me. They're thinking it's me. I'm and thinking it was you. Everyone's thinking it's me. <laughs> and we get home, and I go over to the shop the next day, and I don't know how we all figured it out. Well, it, it we. Fuller was our tire guy, Rob Fuller. Oh, yeah. He was our tire guy at the time. And, I mean, he's hitting there going, he goes, I'm telling you. He goes, this thing is evil. He goes, when I go down the pit road, it turns to the right. He said, it's almost like the stagger's backwards. So I go over, and there's a stack of tires sitting right there. I just took a tape. And now there's an inch of stagger. And he's like, okay, well, maybe that ain't it. I mean, we're putting rear bars on it, all kind of stuff. Well, so Monday, I think Rob left, flew to Phoenix, and we had blistered some right side tires. And he goes up to the Goodyear guy and he's like, hey, man, I just, you know, what are you going to do about them 30s out there? I mean, we, we blistered them. He goes, blistered them? What, what, ain't supposed to have no tire problem. Like, he said, yeah. He said, well, them 30s on the rights, they just blistered up. And that guy goes, you had the 30s on the right? <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, well, you had them on backwards. Them's the lefts. Oh. And so immediately Rob calls me. He goes, hey, man, I know Pops is going to kill me. He's going to kill me. But I, I didn't know, and I, I put them tires on. I had them marked backwards. So all day we run with an inch of stagger the wrong way. And, we, and the bad part is we made it turn. Yeah, we made it turn part. like that. So I walked into Pops' office, and, I mean, you know it's going. You know how bad it is because you're just like, I, I don't want to go in here to Pops because this, this is not going to end well for Fuller or us. Going to end well for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and we're like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be. I said, walked in there, and I said, Pops, you want the good news or bad news? Well, what's the good news? I said, we have got a car that will turn absolutely on a dime at Homestead. <laughs> and he goes, so what's the bad news? I said, Fuller had the tires on backwards. I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> and it was like, boy, well, I don't think he lasted much longer after that. But it was like, but it was like stuff like that. Pop, I mean, it's like you said, we, I remember in 98, we won the championship. And, I mean, we partied all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just no big deal. And Pops is like, I feel like Uncle Jesse. I got a bunch of kids here to six pack, <laughs> and all y'all want to do is drink and party and stuff. And I'm trying to win a championship. I mean, you got that lecture all the time going yeah. to the track. And I mean, there was nobody over 23 years old. Yeah. Pops was the oldest one. Yeah. I think Quinn might have been a little bit older than the rest of us, going to shocks. But 
So in nine, we won the championship. Ninety nine, we're like, you know, I'm a, I'm gonna quit partying. Like, screw all this. I'm not gonna drink anymore. I'm just I'm gonna focus. I want to win this second back to back championship. So we go, we wreck like four out of the first five. <laughs> just terrible, you know. And we're, we're like, what is going on? Our luck is done, we you know. Yeah, we didn't win till like mid-season. That's so right. we go to Dover, and I told the boys on the plane, I said, you know what? When I get there, I'm going to the Sheraton, and I am getting tore up tonight. <laughs> I said, it's going down. I said, we ain't done nothing since we stopped drinking. I said, we're going to start drinking again. And Pops is like, well, you always get the best setups when you're drinking a beer. You know, because he said, go in the bar, and you can listen to everybody else talk. So we go to Dover. <laughs> I remember the lights coming on, and Ty Norris was there, and Slugger was there. Slugger handed me a I was, at one point I was dancing with Ty's wife, and I had a pitcher of Budweiser in the other hand on the dance floor, and I was dancing, and the lights come on, and I'm like, why is this place? Why is the lights coming on? Pops ain't nowhere to be found. It's <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Huh. Tore up. I'm like, ooh, ooh, this, and I room with Pops all the time, so you know I'm like, I don't want to stick the card in the door. <laughs> so I walk up there, sit the card in the door. As soon as I walk in, he's like, what are you doing? You know what time it is? I'm like, I said, you left me. You left me there. That's why I'm like this, because you didn't stay with me. You should have <laughs> stayed with me. I blamed it on him. He's like, shut up and get in the bed. I laid, and I, I remember when he woke me up, I was sitting on the bed, feet still on the floor, laid straight back. Oh, boy. And he comes by and kicks me. First thing in the morning, it's 6 o'clock, kicks oh, me. No. Oh, wow. That's get up. You want to act stupid? You're gonna to have to get up. I'm like, okay, I'm up. I'm up. I'm ready. I'm. I'm get my stuff on. I get my stuff on. We practiced at eight o'clock. So eight o'clock. You know, we in there firing the motor up. We we're having. A, I mean, we're still all just ramped up from the night before. Still drunk. Still drunk. Just still going. <laughs> and it's like go through tech, go through everything. And I'm like, this feels good. I, I, I need. <laughs> I was looking for my sun drop and my. My what do they call them? Little them little white donuts, little sweet sixteens. Yeah, that's like speedy dry. <laughs> Soak it right up. That's all you had to do is eat some of them. So I'd eat me some of them. We went out for the first practice. P one. Oh my god! Top of the sheet. Ty comes down to pit road. He comes in there. He goes, I had to come down here and make sure it was you. I heard you on the radio. I ain't no way it was you. I'm like, we ready today, buddy. <laughs> so we went. I think we qualified top three or something. Won the race. From that point on, it was game on again. Was, was, that, like, was that the first win that year in 99? Yes, yes, sir. Wow. Damn. Who yeah. knew? Y'all just needed the drink. That's it. We just like, we just taking it too serious. Like, just just make, just do your deal, you know? Yeah. But it's like, if you just, we went in there so serious, and it was like, we were causing our own problems, basically. It was like, go in there and relax and just do what you do, and you can make it happen, you know? And everybody gets along better. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Is that right? Is that yeah, how that works? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, I mean, they wrote books about us and everything else back <laughs> in the time. It's like, they call me Eeyore now because it's like there's so many years that, like, we were fighting or we were like two brothers. Oh, the sky's blue. No, it's a little bit darker than that. It's a little bit purple. You know, it's just, just a little bit, but we're still trying to do the same goal. Yeah. And it was like, you know, he's like, well, I don't think it's me. And we're like, well, we don't think it's us. And it was just like... It doesn't matter about all that. It's just like we were all so competitive and wanted to win so bad that we were putting too much pressure on ourselves to do it. Yeah. I mean, ultimately that was it, you know. I mean, it was like, you know, it's that's why Pops was so great being in the middle of it because he was like if we got to a point where we were too much, he'd just come in there and stomp his foot and say, no, this is what we're going to do. 
and everything just stopped and okay let's focus let's go do what we got to do yeah but i mean pops didn't go there to pops is milled out i mean when he was here i told him he's like a teddy bear you know <laughs> he was so much easier but it was like when he went to the racetrack he he was he was your check and now you're i'm gonna i won't practice i won't qualify and i want to race mm-hmm. and there's no other excuse if something fell off the car you would just walk just walk home you're better off yeah you know <laughs> but it, it made us all better at the end of the day you know so i mean it's just I, I i love the memories of it just everything that we were doing back then but it's like it was hard i mean there's no doubt it was hard so the um 2004 season was one one of good and bad we won six races um i look at victor lane celebration at phoenix you know toward the end of the year and we're we just won the race and we're all happy and then we went to homestead and literally couldn't even have a conversation during practice you remember that yeah i mean i mean the whole deal was is like and i mean this is the way i pictured them four years yeah i mean I, your memory is way better than mine is cause oh I, I, I can't remember why we were mad and how we even because that I, I that's what happens to me i'll look at phoenix and go damn that was just weeks before and then at homestead we literally can't be together yeah i think it was i look at this as like <clears throat> all right 2000 like 99 we already had all the setups laid down we just told you said don't hit nothing yeah just go do what you do don't hit nothing we'll win this championship and we did we went to 2000 it was like we went to a lot of tracks in the cup series that he had never been we didn't have notes he didn't have notes and those were the weeks that were struggles you know for us well then in 2001 the accident happened and it's like you know i remember going to the bus and he's like okay it's up to us now and I'm like, okay, well, if he's, I'm that's that's his attitude. That's gonna be my attitude, you know. And so, we just kind of like we were DI, like we had to hold the torch. We had to do it, you know. And it was like mine and I think mine and pops. I, I'm speaking for pops, but I mean, when I looked at it, I was looked at it as like Dale Senior was like a second dad to me. But it was like I'm gonna take care of Dale Junior, whatever it takes, whatever I got to do to make sure that Dale Junior is successful. That's what I'm gonna do. You know, because that was my main focus. Because I think, well, that's the only way that I can celebrate him, you know, is yeah. making sure that you're successful. So that's what we did. But in 2002, I think you were even sitting there because, I mean, I look at it too, because you and your dad were just starting to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it forever is like you didn't have a relationship with your dad. I was lucky I was getting to have one, you know, but I didn't move in with my dad till I was 18. So. I'm sitting there watching you and your dad have a relationship and you're getting the attention that you've always wanted. Well, then it got ripped from you. So in 2002, I don't even think he knew if he wanted to race. You know, we just kind of floated through 2002. and It's like, okay, we're at the racetrack. Maybe today we'll race, maybe today we won't. But it was like he really didn't know if he really wanted to do this because there was so much damage of his dad being gone. And it was like, you know, just figure out what you want to do. And I think it was mid-2003, I think, is when you really decided, no, I, I, I got to grow up. I got to do this. I want to I be a race car driver. And I think we won three races towards the end of the year. If not, we run good in a lot of them. And then when we come out of 2004, well, all we did was fix everything that we screwed up in 2003. If there was a race to where Atlanta, we had it won, and the TV deal cut the brake line. Yeah. We come back in 2004, we won that race. 
We should have won it the year before. We won it this time. Went to Richmond, won it. They just, all the races that we were screwing up, we would got. Well, we go to Atlanta with three to go. We're running third. And we were like sitting really pretty in the points. And we're like, hey, man, don't do nothing stupid. Just finish this race out, finish third. You know, and he's trying to do all he can do. And he just slips up and gets in front of in front of Edwards and he hits us and we hit the inside wall. So now we don't have a points lead. We got a deficit. Yeah. Well, we all knew we were going to Phoenix and win. Like our us at Phoenix was just like us walking into Daytona. Like this is our racetrack. We're here. We'll take care of business here. And that's think that's why we all went to Phoenix and we were like we we done exactly what we said we would do and we won the race. So everybody's just happy. But I think when we went to Homestead, it hit us that we just give away our championship. Oh, yeah. so you think that's what happened? You, I, honestly, saying. that's what happened. I mean, because the whole team was just devastated because if we'd have just finished third in Atlanta, yeah. went to Phoenix, it oh. didn't matter what happened at Homestead. Yeah, we had a uh, – th- was that the same year where we had like a rear-end yoke break or something on the car at Martinsville, like f- race five races to go? Yep. And we lost the chunk. Oh, it was a bad – yeah, bad finish. Something broke. Yeah. Killed Something broke. It was a weird part that shouldn't break, that never breaks. Yeah, I mean, it just happened to happen. But that whole year was our championship year. And it was like everybody got to Homestead, and we were just, like, devastated. We are like – because it ain't like today. Like, you got this little chase deal right now of 10 races. Who's good at the last 10 races? You know, back then it was like all ev- year. every race, yeah. every lap. I mean, everything counted. And now it's more like – okay, we'll just get you a win, you know, get through the year, and then the last 10 races be really good at those tracks. And you got docked points after Talladega. Yeah. All that happened at the same time. Yeah. yeah. That was my fault. That, well, no, no, no. I, I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it, it would have what, – what Tony Jr. is saying is that all of a sudden the reality hit, right, going yeah. into Homestead. Instead of it being the, after but, the but race, that, it happened That was happened a crazy, Look, crazy sequence of weeks. It was. Well, but yeah. when I was at Homestead, I wasn't that devastated – because we'd had we won six freaking races. Like oh, I yeah. was sitting, I was sitting there going, "Yeah, this sucks, but damn, man, we're f- good." And then practice started, and the car, we weren't fast, and I had a hard time at Homestead, no question. And we weren't running the wall then. You ran the bottom, and mm-hmm. that the transition and that progressive banking, I couldn't figure it out. I could not run. I couldn't run good there. And we ran a couple practices, and a couple I smarted off, he smarted off, and in five minutes, <laughs> neither one of us wants to say a word to the other one. Don't want to even look at each other. And it, and it stayed that way. they like the rest of the weekend. Yeah. We go into the off season, and then we I go into Gilmore's office, and he says, "I think we ought to make a change." And I was like, "I'm still pissed off. So what? Do you, what kind of change you want to make?" And so. Worst decision we talked about that. Worst decision I ever made in my career. And I've said it. I've said it here at this table with Tony Senior and Tony Junior. And I said it outside this room. It's my biggest regret in racing was that decision. If we'd have just figured it out, patched it up, or slept on it, even stayed the course. Yeah. (laughs) So, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was. I mean, I remember I was sitting at home, at your home, (laughs) and I said, "Hey, man," I was like. Richie's like, hey, man, we got to talk. We got to do this. I'm like, why are we doing this? You know, all we needed is a breather. Everybody just was devastated. Let's, like, we're we're on a roll now. Like, there wasn't a racetrack that we didn't walk into that we didn't think we could win. You know, like, we were the threat. You know, we wasn't worried about nobody. And so 
at that particular time, well, when it all went down, we went and sat in the office, and it was like I think they said they were going to put Pete with you, and they and they said we're going to make Pops general manager, and we're going to make you a crew chief for, you know, for Truex. And I'm like, well, have you talked to Bono about this? Because Bono had been doing the chance race, and they're like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we've talked to him. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, if you want to do that, that's fine. I mean, we'll take Truex. I like Truex. He's great. You know, if that's what if that makes him happy and that's what he wants to do, then that's what we'll do. Well, within 30 minutes, Bono's on a flight coming back from Massachusetts because he doesn't heard about it because nobody has talked to him about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's upset. So now we've upset the whole company is in uproar. And I mean, I even made a phone. I made a phone call and asked a, an, a cut another cup owner. I'm like, hey, you want a race team? Because I mean, we were the hottest thing there. I said, I'll bring all 25 people. Like, cool. we'll we'll all come. You know, and it was just like he said, man, if you'd called me one day earlier, I'd hire everybody that's in that shop. You know, and I was like, okay, no problem. So that's when I I told pops, I said, just tell them to give me Michael. I said, I'll take Michael. I said, give me one year with Michael. And find me a young driver that we we can just. I said I don't care if I go back Xfinity racing. If I got to come all the way back up through it, I said we'll do it. I said, but if that's what he wants to do, if that's his decision, and we want to do it, let's do it. So ultimately, that's how the whole deal. We went in there, and it was like a, just a team swap. Just yeah. at any point, did you talk to Dale, or did Dale talk to no, you? No, we never. Me and him never even talked about it, and it was just like. Did you want to? Well, yeah. I mean, at, at some point, because you still. You're like, well, I want him to be happy. But at the, at the time, me and him was too immature to deal with it. That was the problem. It was like it, it, my attitude back there and his attitude back then is like we. it was just the wrong wrong attitudes. Yeah. It just, just put it like that. I mean, but it was like in 2005, I'm sitting there, and I just told all the guys in the shop, I'm like, look, we're going to have Michael this year. What we're going to do is we're going to make our race team better. We're going to do our own parts. We're going to make quality control. We're going to be a better race team now because of this. That's all we can do. If we go win a race with Michael, we're king. Like, that's all we got to do. We got to go win races with Michael Waltrip. That's what we got to do. That's that's still our job, you know. So we go into the season. Well, that was the year that we started coal binding. We actually went to Daytona and started coal binding. And Michael passed you off of four, coming to the 125s, and the two shops are at war, the right. whole place. I mean, it was funny. At Christmas time, all the Napa guys wore red and all the Bud guys wore blue because of Napa and Bud. Yeah. It was like the whole facility was segregated at that time. Just like oh, but you don't mean Napa wore, Napa wore blue and Bud guys wore red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I got just showing that they were going to the other team. Right. And it was a, yeah, yeah, just they because swapped. they swapped. That's right. So – we're sitting there, and uh, we go into the season or whatever, and I think it might have been Richmond. Like, we went and run second with Michael Ralph the Bat. We had a chance to win the 500 uh, with Michael, and it was like motor blue with like 25 to go. And it was like I, – I was so mad at Daytona because, I mean, Richie come over to me. He says, man, I got a motor. Put in your car. You're our best shot for the 500. I'm like, I don't want it. Give me the motor that I'm supposed to run. He said, I promise it won't blow up. I'm like, I'm telling you, I don't want it. Just if it's anything experimental at all, do not give it to me. I want my regular motor because I can win this Daytona 500 with Michael. And it was like, Michael, at the time, these two, they're not like everybody's so split. I know he ain't going to draft with me. And Michael ain't going to draft with him. So that kind of hurt the whole whole company. 
So I went to Stuart. Stuart was starting in front of us. I was like, Stuart, do me a favor. I said, will you draft with Michael? I don't like Michael. I'm like, I don't care if you like him or not. I said, you like me? Yeah, I like you. I said, you like my team? Yeah, I like you boys. You're cool. I'm like, well, draft with us. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll draft with you, but he's got to push me all day. <laughs> That's what he told me. I'm like, no problem. He won't leave the Home Depot on your back bumper. So if you go back and look at the race, Michael's out there, and he never leaves a 20. It was just like that was the new eight, and we pushed a 20 all day. And he's like, Tony, I'm running half throttle behind this guy. Whenever you want me to pass him, you just <laughs> let me know. I'm like, you don't move. You don't move. I said, you stay right there. We come in for the last pit stop at 25 to go. And I said, all right, Michael, game on. Do whatever you want. He goes down into one, pulls high, drives right around him, pulls down in front of him, leaves three more laps, and the motor blew up. God. I was so mad, I got in the rental car and drove home. I would not get in the plane with him to drive home. And it's just – that's my attitude back then. Well, you wanted that race. You wanted it out of spite. Yeah. You know, it was just – you had so much anger built up in you. You're just like, man, I want – you know, I want to prove something. Yeah. You know, and it was the wrong way to be proving it. And, it, and it's like – during that year, I think I, he was having a terrible year. It's awful. It was awful. He, that, that, that speed weeks even wasn't that great. I think you finished third, Dale, but honestly, I, I the remember race that race. Started the race was we awful. Plowing. Yes. Yeah. 30th, and I'm like, I, I can't even go. I can't stay in the gas. Can't go nowhere. Right. This is, this is going to be <laughs> the worst race ever. I don't know how we got the car better. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll say this right here at this table, but like, it, it bothered me so bad that we split up and sit there and watch him race with somebody else and me not racing with him. I would go on Dale Jr. What it, what, there was a DaleJrPitStop.com or mm -hmm. something. Oh, yeah, and the I website. Would, I would go on there and read what people are saying and how bad they hated me, and that would just fuel me to go to the next race. They're wow. Like, he, told his, he took his cars. They're, I don't know why. And I'm like, yeah, I got them good and pissed off now because I, I, lived, I lived off that, and it's, yeah. it's stupid at the time. But it was like you, 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 that's how I was feeding myself to go to the next race. Yeah. You know, and then it's like I think Richmond. I come up into your bus, and I think I asked, I think it was first Richmond. You were running bad, and I walked up in into his bus. And he's like, that's the first time we'd really Talk. talked. I Richmond, walked, yeah, which would have been like the race. Well, I mean, we'd walk 11, by right? and say, "Hey, okay, yeah, yeah but a, a meaningful conversation, meaningful conversation." And I walked up into his bus, and I'm like, "What is your problem?" I said, "You're a better race car driver than what you're driving." I said, "What is your problem?" I'm like, I'm tired of watching you run 25th to 30th. Like, you're you're going to lose your career over this if something don't change. And that's when he says, "Man, I just I made a mistake." Mm. He says, "You know, these guys they don't they don't like to, they don't listen to me. They got their own ideas." And he says, "And I can't drive their cars the way to do it." And I just screwed up when I made this decision. And I said, "Well, fix it. You you help create it. Like, fix it. Well, how do I fix it?" And I'm like. The only thing you got to do is go tell Richie you want your old team back. And I said, but the first thing you got to do is go over to that team because Michael, when he come in, Michael's just like, thank you guys. Man, y'all yeah. are the greatest. He's a kid in the candy store. But yeah. He's loving us, and he's he's feeding us with just y'all are the best, man. Like, I can't believe I'm with a race team this way. And, and I just told him, I said, you got to go over there and apologize to all them guys and tell them you want them back. I said, that's all you got to do. I said, because it was, it was like a family. I'm like, just say, hey, you screwed up, and let's go. And ultimately, that's what he, he did. And we got back together, what, 10 races to go? 10 races to go in the season or something, they put me with the Napa team. Bullshit. I don't remember that. Yes, sir. I remember going – I remember walking up to you at 
I remember walking up to you and having a conversation at Talladega in the garage. And I walked up to you and I said, you want to get back together? And you said, let's let's get back together. Yeah, let's do it. I remember asking you in that moment at Dega, I remember you coming in the bus and telling me that, but I don't remember it sinking into my head that I needed to, that, that I could get y'all back. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't dawn on me in that moment. Like, okay, yeah, I'll just go, I'll just go tell them to swap it all back. Right. And I went up to you at Talladega and I was so nervous and, uh, I wanted to, I wanted us to get back together so badly and I went up to you, and I think I remember asking you if you wanted to get back together. And I remember sitting there, uh, about to throw up, waiting on you to answer me. I mean, you answered me quickly, right. but I didn't know what you were going to say. Right. You know. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I remember us sitting there talking, but I, after the Richmond deal, I was just like, "Well, it's just got to make. We just got to make it happen." Yeah. You know. And then it. I think it took that long for it to happen. And so you came back. You came down to the Napa. Car? Yeah, because I honestly, they put me down there with like a couple races to go at the end of the season. And it kind of, I started working, like we put Gibson with that's, the A-car bunch. That's right. I left Gibson up there. I'm like, Gibson, you can handle these guys. Handle them. Okay. I went to the Napa shop trying to repair the friendship and the company. Because I, I was like, man, all I've done is the damn company separated. Well, you know, there was there was guys down there on the 15 car that were great you know i mean i'd go down there and talk to them so we i went to the last couple of races with them and and they're great guys you know there's just always there was something going on down there and i felt like i think after that year is when i went to richie and i told him i said look you you got the one shop over here you got the eight shop here and then you got the 15 car down the street at the chicken coop at the chicken coop i said they're they're like outlaws down there like they feel left out and all. i said what do we got to do to put the whole thing under one building i said you know so we moved the fab shop moved the one car beside the bud shop had a central um suspension room where all them guys had to work i said have one break room where they all got where we all have to go into the break room together it's the only way you're going to make team have chemistry between the two teams mm -hmm. and i think we did well we did 2006 there 2007, 2008, we went to Hendrick, right? Yeah. So, 2007, we had a good year. We just blew up so many motors. But yeah. that was the biggest deal when I went to Hendrick's was, like, if I look at Hendrick's Motorsports to DEI, Hendrick Motorsports has got more engineering. They had sim and more engineering than DEI. As far as people that worked in the building and the heart, the race, I'll take DEI. But if I want to be on a computer and be ahead – and even Rick told me that. Rick's like, you being at DEI, he said it's like Duke playing Davidson. Mm. You can play a good first half of basketball game, but in the second half I'm going to blow you out because the depth of Hendrick Motorsports is so much more. You know, they got five guys in the lineup. You know, it would be like Alabama going against, you know, a Mississippi State or something. Yeah. You know, they just ain't got the depth that you got. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
on your happy price, Priceline. Let, let me go back. I'm trying to still put the timeline together on 2005, okay? Because you're right. I forgot about Tony Gibson. And also, we're forgetting about Steve Mill. Yep. He was in it. So, like, if I remember correctly, and anybody jump in and tell me where I'm wrong. Okay, so we started off the year with Pete Rondo. You guys are going with Mike. Uh, you guys got Michael and the Napa team and all for running. And you guys were pretty – like, you could tell a difference already with the way Michael was running. He just had a pep in his step, too. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he glowed. Um, and then after – I mean, God, it wasn't Pete but was a handful about, of races. It was about 10 races, eight 10 races. 10 races, Pete's gone, and they put Steve Meal in, who I think was your spotter at the time, if I remember correctly. He was kind of in a – Something. In a and what was his too. role at DEI? Like, he was a director of something? He was like a director of competition. He, okay. handled, he handled the chassis shop for us, and he was kind of like the middleman trying to keep everybody together. Okay. You know? So then, at some point, we get to Charlotte, and there was a big feud. Yeah. Uh, and I would have to think Steve Mills, our crew chief at that time, because I think that would have, uh, you know, been on the back end of the Rondo switch. And so the the wreck between Michael and Dale, because I just – I have just snapshots of memories of that. Yeah. And the snapshot is Tony Sr. <laughs> I, I remember when Dale finally pulled into the garage, I said, hey, get to the, get to the hauler. I got to tell you a lot of things. <laughs> I got a lot to tell you because you guys didn't finish the race after that wreck. Was that in the 600 or the all-star race? It was a 600. 600. It was a 600. And 600. And, and, what it and, was, and, 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 and that would have been where things were really boiling over, right? Like yeah, there was a they, lot of animosity between the two teams. Yeah, we, me and him, had, I'd already went and asked him what his okay. problem was. Okay, so you, you had know? already had the conversation at Richmond. Then yep. Charlotte happens. Then Charlotte happens. And then we're like and, – and, and the whole time that this is going on, I, just a little backstrop. Is like the 15 team, which is me. We're starting coal binding. We're we're starting to do that kind of setup. Okay. Well, we're not telling anybody anything about what we're doing. We're keeping it all top secret because we're like, we don't need this to get out. Because okay. I'm looking at it as, after the first 10 races, I'm looking at it as half the people that are on the eight car down there are probably going somewhere else at the end of the year. Okay. So I don't want to get my secret out. Of what I'm doing because then it'll be in every yeah Pensky yeah, it'll be everywhere Hendrick, everywhere else. So I'm trying to keep it boxed in a in a box. Don't tell nobody. Put the springs up. Don't tell anybody what you're doing. Well, there was engineers that were down there on the eight car and they were like, oh, we know what they're doing. Like we'll just order it. So I've got the spring company calling me and saying, hey, I know you don't want to tell everybody what you're doing, but your buddies at the eight shop just called and ordered fifty thousand dollars worth of springs, and they're not right. Do I just send them? Oh wow! So I at that time I have to make a decision. I'm like, send them. <laughs> I'm like, screw it. I'm not giving up my secret. I'm like, just send them what they want. Yeah, you know. And and the guy's like, okay, well it's not right. And I'm like, I can't help it. I, I'm not giving out my secret. So, and so we're going through all this. We we'll go to 600, and all it was was he was trying to swap. Michael was trying to get out of his way, and they hooked. It was that simple. You can be angry when you're up on a pit box or whatever, but at the end of the day, two of them went for the same spot. They hit together and they wrecked. But we were, but I've got 15 guys in the pits that just – you might as well throw the grenade in the middle of it. Like, so everybody's pissed, you know, because they're like, he wrecked us on purpose. Yeah, you know, and I'm sitting there going, well, I don't think he'd do that. You know, and I'm just like, I'm just going to leave it at that. But it was on the straightaway. Well, you know, it was, it on, was the on the front. Straight, it was on the front, but it was still, they were going to the same spot. And I was just like, 
keep trying to keep my emotions in check because up to that point, I've been a nutcase. Pops didn't take the same approach. Well, you see, you chased me up in the truck. I, I think did. it was you, Jr., and there was somebody else. They come running up in the truck, and they're like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I am fine. Just leave me alone. I'm gonna get my book bag, get my car and my truck, and I'm going home." And I said, "If I got a problem with him, I'll go talk to him at his house." I mean, that's what I said. Okay. And I and and you looked at me and you go, "So you you were like, are you sure? Like, are you?" Are you are you because are, you, are you okay? And I'm like, because your dad had just held court. No, you were standing there and you were like, are you sure you're okay? I said yes. I said Mike. I said oh, your biggest right. problem that you have right now is you don't know where Pops is at. That's right. That's <laughs> what he said. That's what he said. And it's, it's all hit me. It just came back to me because as as soon as he goes, your bigger problem is Pops. And he, as soon as I turned around, he says, where do you think he lights, is? I said. Probably in the middle of them lights. No, no, yeah, yeah. Those lights went ching, 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 ching. And it's like you saw this, like, bigger-than-God person standing out there, and his arms are doing this. You haven't seen. And he was evangelizing. He was, like, the Holy Spirit had got a hold of him, and he's sitting here just carrying on. And I'm like, oh, God, this is this is where it all unravels right here. Yep. And sure enough, you're just out there racing, and, and we're sitting there doing all that. And then when you came in, this was, this was so funny because you would have been gone by then. Dale comes in. You know how he is. Like, you can't, like, you can't have a secret without him going, well, tell me, you know, or something. It's like, hey, come into the hauler. And he's still in the car. I said, before you do all these interviews, because there's going to be, there's a ton of people now surrounding the eight car because Pops has just held the press conference of the century out there. Right. And, and Dale's like, Why? And I said, just come into the hauler. I got to tell you, why? And I'm like, just get in the hauler. You know, like, come on. Get, like, seriously, get in here. And he's, and I mean, of course, he, so I'm like, Pops just absolutely ran you under the bus. And they are here to ask you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that was it. That was it. So, like, that was, like, to me, I felt like that was the bottom. Like, that, was, that felt like the bottom. It was. I mean, I remember... I told all my guys, I'm like, do not say a word. Don't walk by their pits. Don't say nothing. Just go load our car up and get out of here. Don't nobody say a word. And I mean, they're they're like ready. Well, I think the worst thing to happen was somebody took 250 lug nuts and threw them on your lift gate when they walked by or something. And I figured out who that was. And who I was it? I think it was Troy. I think it was Troy. Troy Prince? Not yeah. Troy Prince. Man, I think he's Troy. such a nice guy. Yeah, I think it was Troy. <laughs> Everybody so, loves Troy. <laughs> he ended up working here. I was like, yeah, Troy, yeah. Troy done, done that. So we went back to the shop. <laughs> and I remember on that Monday, the, the, one of the funniest things that ever happened was we come in there on Monday, and they're like, okay, we're going to all go talk about this, you know. <laughs> and we're standing in the bud. Or it had been an apple shop then, but it was an old bud shop. Standing there, Teresa comes walking through the door. Her and Jimbo, and they come walking through there. And me and Pops are standing there talking, and she comes through, and I'm like, oh, hell, this is going to be big because she don't come around. And it's like all this stuff just happened, and she walked through this door. This probably going to be a butt-chewing coming right here. you know. So I'm like, okay. She comes over, and she says, tells Pops, she said, you got any tape? I need some duct tape. And Pops is like, sure, what color would you like? She says, it really doesn't matter, just, just any kind of duct tape. And I was like, okay. Oh, damn. So she walks over there, and she's, he says, how big a piece you need? She says, I need one about that long right there, about three, four inches. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And he rips it off, and he goes, here you go. What you need that for? She says, can you – she goes, Tsh. 
Right Puts it the- right in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I just need you to be quiet and stay off the TV. Oh That's God. hilarious. <laughs> and I busted out laughing because that was the first time. He goes, yes, ma'am. I probably shouldn't have done that. And it was like, but it, she, she was the only one that could like trump him. Yeah. You know, but it was like, but I think it was after that, it was like, you know, I think, I think it was Pocono. Steve was doing everything. Steve would come up there, and Steve was like, man, we got to have both these cars identical. I want your suspension components. I want your drag link. I want this. I want that. Mm. I'd hand him my setup sheet. Well, still, at this time, I'm still holding my secret. Okay. So I'm just putting down what my springs are, so I'm putting down like 425, 450, 200, 1200. That's, you're fibbing. You're, no, you're, that's you're, what's in it. That's oh, I know, rate. but you're that's not the rates. That's the rate. That's the rates of them. But, but it you, don't say nothing about what the heights of them are or nothing. Right. And so we go out there, and Michael sits on the pole. He's like, "Man, I ain't sat on a pole in 14 years." I said, "Well, that's the year I graduated." And I said, "So, well, just congratulations." I mean, he's yeah. still jacked up, you know. And so we're sitting there. I think you run was running terrible, and uh, I got lapped. Yeah. Well, they lapped you twice in the race because before the race. Pops is like, you got to stop this stuff. And I'm like, Pops, I'm not giving away my secret. I'm not doing it. I said, I've worked too hard to figure this out. I'm not going to hand it to them where they can just take it and just throw it everywhere. He's like, well, it's just got to stop. Like, we got we got to fi- we got to help fix that kid. And I'm like, well, I can do it. I said, you just put everything back like it was, and he'll be fixed. Like, you know. And uh, I had one of my springs that I'd been running all year in the cabinet. And he goes, and I remember Steve coming up in there, and he goes, I know you're not telling me everything. And I'm like, Steve, you can go, go over and look at my car. Everything, you can measure anything you want to measure. I don't care. And he goes, well, we're going to put a 425 and a 475 in the front of this car, and, and it better run like yours. And I'm like, okay. And he walked out, and I told Pops, I said, it ain't going to. And uh, Pops is like, well, you're not going to get him hurt, are you? I'm like, no. I said his teeth might hurt a little bit when it goes there and bouncing off the cross member a couple of times. I said, but I said it's not going to get him hurt. But I said he's going to have a rough ride for a little bit. Yeah. And Pops is like, damn you. And I'm like, okay. I said, I tell you what, Pops. And I reached in the cabinet and I pulled the spring out and I set it on the on the t- on the counter. I said, when it gets so bad that he can't drive it, take that spring, put 51 and a half rounds in it, and I said, and it'll go. And he goes, for real? And I'm like, yeah. I said, you can just put it in there. And I'm setting up on the box, and we're running. We led a bunch. We were sitting there running second or third. We had lapped him twice. I mean, he's terrible. I turn around and look behind me, and Pops is going down pit road with that spring, carrying it. And I'm like, oh, hell, here we go. This is going to be it. In the middle of the race. Middle of the race, they're down there up on jack stands, changing the right front spring on pit road. I unhooked the front shocks. And they've changed the spring. And so they unhook the front shocks, and they're like, all right, go around. We ain't, you know, don't, 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 pace car's coming. So I don't I don't know what they're done. I don't know what they've done under the hood. I just know they lift the hood and then shut it. So I take off down pit road, and the pit road at Pocono's <laughs> got these giant-ass hills in it. And that damn thing takes off up in the air because they got the fucking shocks on the front. And the shocks just doing this under the hood banging all around and this thing goes flying up there and i was like oh slowed way down and i was like goodness gracious what have they done we, we're bad to worse <laughs> and i drive around and then they jack it back up they put the spring in hook the shocks up we lost another lap 
and then uh but man i go out there lined up on the inside and run with the top five the rest of the day yeah he made up like two laps and it's like he got back up there i don't know what happened to us i don't know if we crashed or something something happened to us but he ended up making up both laps and it was the storyline of the weekend <laughs> and then i go back i open the winston cup scene on monday it says Dale Jr.'s Magic Springs turned season around, and I'm 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 like volcano. Yeah. No, yeah. how would that have got? Oh, he must have talked about it. He got out. He goes, oh yeah, they changed the spring, and it was awesome. Like it was great. And I've just told pops, I was like, so then I had to have a meeting of a meeting of a meeting, of like exactly what was going on. And then that at that particular time, you know, I think the ball was rolling to do the other deal. But it was like at that time. Well, that's when. It, it run through the cup garage like crazy. The spring you know? stuff. But that but but it also sounds like you guys were now on a quick trajectory to get things righted, right the right the ship, right? Like yeah, as far well, as getting y'all back together. Because I'd forgotten. Can you that, believe after what I did at Charlotte that Pops took that spring on his own? Uh, down you the, know what? Anybody else, I wouldn't believe it. But you know, I mean, Pops like, never stopped loving you. I isn't mean, like that nice to know. Yep. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either. But man, I mean, I got to say, I'm not surprised. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you guys, y'all fought like family, but you never once lost sight of the fact that you're a family. Yeah, and that was what I mean. Lord knows how bad it would have got if that little element wasn't there, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, he, he it's like it's like he done what he always done. Anytime we were like. In a dispute, he just put his foot down. That's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think, and you've said it in here, and I, and we we've all said it. I mean, me and Ty's even sat down and talked about it, you know, about DEI and the way it was. And it was like I think everybody at that particular time had a little bit of arrogance to them, a little bit of immaturity, whatever you want to call it. I don't care, but it's like there was that was a great place to be. It put too much pressure on him. Yeah, y'all lacked a leader. Yeah, you, you lost we, your leader. Yeah, we lost our leader. And at that particular time, he wasn't ready to be a leader. You know, right. he, he didn't want to do it. I've, I even asked Kerry Dale, I'm like, will you just come over here and just walk around? Just be an Earnhardt. Just walk around and just act like you own the place. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm like, yeah, you can. Just just play the part. I don't care if they pay you a dime. Just go up there and play the part. I said, I just need an Earnhardt walking around in the building that, that acts like they care about everybody. I said, that's all we need. You know, and then when the whole deal started with the contract and all that, it was just – then it took another level, and it was like, okay, it's intimate that everything's going to go down. And when we went to Hendricks, DEI lasted, what, another year, another two years? You know, because I had actually talked to Darian Grubb. They were starting Stuart Haas, and I went to Darian, and I'm like, Darian, if you've got to start a team, go hire Gibson and that whole bunch because that was my old race team. I only took four people out of that team to Hendricks with me. They, yeah. That's all they'd let you take. That's all it let me take. But, but hold up. Go back, because he just brought up something that I, you and I were talking about last night, Dale, and that was the contract stuff about where you you kind of showed up at Speed Weeks and said that you wanted 51% of yeah. the, uh, the company. Yeah. We were just kind of curious, like <laughs> – what was your like what was your feeling in all that like when he's now he he's basically now he and Teresa are going to go onto the battleground and fight over contracts and and now ownership of the company where did that leave you with all that did you i know you guys say well we don't care we just race but seriously though you were in the middle of it well at the time i was like well how's he going to come up she's going to have such a number on it that he ain't going to be able to come up with 51 you know we, the problem is at that particular time you know, 
I don't want to talk bad about Teresa because Teresa's done a lot. You know, she's has issues and then she and other things. But at the end of the day, when she's sitting there, she honestly thought that the D, that the Dale Earnhardt legacy was so big that she didn't need Dale Jr. And for for her personal deal for yeah, we want to keep Dale's legacy, but at the end of the day, DEI can't survive without Dale Jr. Every contract, every sponsor, everything is tied to him. At some way or another, if it's if it's a sponsor going on the 15 car, well, they want somehow they want to be tied to Dale Jr. They want to have something that's connected to an Earnhardt name. So you're sitting there looking at all that, and you're like, this this ship's taking on water, you know. And it's like, and here, and what I mean by not being bad to Teresa is like, here here's here's my, here's my whole thing on the Teresa deal. Yeah, she. You know, y'all have had issues or whatever, but at the end of the day, when I drove back into that place in 2001 from Dale being killed, she was in that guard shack and waved at every person that walked, that pulled into that shop. That little black glove come out, and I was like, well, damn, if she's here, I'm here. You know, because we done had our yeah. conversation. And two is I look at it as, okay, she just lost everything that she had. You know, like Dale was her shining night or whatever. Why would she want to go back to a racetrack? You know, it's like she just lost everything because of that, you know. And it's like, I mean, you got Dale and Kelly, but they're not hers. You know, she's got his tailor, you know. And it's just like I said, why would she even want to go back to a racetrack? For her to keep that business open for another seven years and for her to have to go to a racetrack to where she lost everything, it's got to be hard on her. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you when you love somebody like that and you lose them there, you don't want to go back. I mean, you went down there for Daytona before we run that baseball car for two weeks just to make sure that your head was right. Yeah. You know, and it's like I look at that with her, and I was just like, man, I, yeah, I kind of feel sorry for her in a way. You know, but it was always we had Teresa standard time. You know, she'd done things on her schedule. Mm-hmm. And because she wouldn't show up to events at the DEI deal, it cost us a lot of sponsorship. It cost this and that. But at the end of the day, I I can't blame her because I'm like, well, you know, I like. I think that's fair. You know, you absolutely. Know, you know, I I miss Dale Senior every day. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's funny you you thought that she would. It's funny that you <laughs> thought that she she was gonna put up a number and I would need to pay a number because in my mind and I, maybe I'm the crazy one when I said. I'll, I'll stay with 50, I'll stay for fifty one percent. That I was gonna get fifty one percent outright for nothing. Yeah, yeah. We were all yeah. We were all thinking. What? We were all thinking like this boy ain't got. I mean, I'm like this boy ain't got that much horsepower behind him yet. He's yeah. good, but I don't think he's got that much. And it's just like, you know, at the time it's just like yeah. you know, if she would have said deal, I'd have stayed. Right. We'd have, we'd have kept on digging. Right. Yeah. But um, and I really was ready to if she call, I was calling her bluff if she's gonna call mine that's that we's gonna do it yeah. So we go to Hendrick right out of the gate. We go to a test at Vegas. Jeff Gordon comes over to me and can't believe how fast the car is. Can't believe how good thing how good we're fitting in. How you know that we we've came and already made made the company better they're chase, they're out there chasing our our car around the racetrack right out of the gate you know i went to the first test that wasn't even our test 
made sure they saw I was serious. Um, we, you had a great relationship with the guys in the shop. You, all the new guys that you're working with, you couldn't take everybody you wanted because of the the no compete clause. Yep. Um, and things are going good. It took us a while to get to Victory Lane. We had the thing with Kyle going on, uh, which was a pain in the ass. Um, and I don't remember when things started going downhill. Well, it was probably 2000 sometime. Did we midway through 2009? I remember we went to a test. We were at a test VIR. at VIR. Yep. Because that's where Tony Jr. and call and you said, you told me, going back, going to get fired. What you told me. It was weird. It was awkward. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, the first year, it was like I come in there and it was like I had all this simulation and I was at the last 10 races of that year and I was like, Darian was taking care of the 25 at the time. the end of 07. Yep. So I'm sitting there playing. I'm like, this is simulation? What does it do? And I'm playing with all these. And they're like, well, we just use that for just using it for uh, pit stops, changes. And I'm like, well, hey, if I had something like this DI, I'd be using it for a lot more than that. And I'm going to say, so I just started studying it. And I've always been one to where, like, I want to engineer, but I want to engineer too. I want to look at two sides of the story. If there's two people looking at it from two different angles, you can come up with two different options. So I looked at that. Well, I'd figured out the whole – we went to Atlanta and run that five car, the all-star car, yep. and all, all I was doing was learning about jacking. Like they had it where they knew what poundage was what, so I just done every kind of combination I could do. I was doing one, I would do my setup that I run an eight car, and then I would do one setup that was like the Hendricks. Because at the time, that's who we were racing. And I was like, well, why did they do that? What, what made mine good and made theirs good? Like, what's the differences? What's, why is this one getting to here and this one's getting to here and they're both going to the same place? You know, so I was really studying up really, really hard on all that stuff. And then when we come out, we went to Daytona and we won the Bud Shootout right off the get-go. And they were like, and the things that I was doing to the Speedway car, they were like, well, I can't believe you can do that. I'm like, well, why can't you? I'm like, you just got to push the envelope. If they make you fix it, they make you fix it. If they don't, then you get away with it. Mm-hmm. Do 15 things. If you get if they catch 10 of them, so what? Just don't do something that's going to get you fined or get you thrown out of the garage. You know, it's a, back to that, hey, there's an official. Make him make a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, so they. I think we instantly made their speedway program better mm-hmm. at that point right then, boom. Fast all week. Fast all week. You know, and we were going to places like we went to Atlanta. We were sitting there quick time, and Latart comes down, and he goes, man, what setup you got in this thing? And I'm like, this right here. He goes out. He sits on a pole. We sit on the outside pole. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just different times like that that we were helping the company. And, and Chad's like, man, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just using the sim. I'm, I'm doing ABC. Well, it, and then they started. I think we went and sat on a pole at Texas. Texas, super fast. Super fast. I mean, I walked in there. It took me three minutes to come up with a setup. We had a race setup. It was pretty good. I went in there, put some stuff in the sim, and said, okay, I want to change this spring, this spring, this spring, put this much wedge, boom. Sent it out there, went top of the board. Like it was that simple. Well, right after that, they started seeing how much we were using sim, and they're like, oh, we got to start using this. Well, then people started finding errors in it, and they started changing stuff. Well, every time they would change something, the wedge number would change on the sim. So then we got to chasing it because I was like, can you just give me the sim back that I had? Because it was, I know things wasn't perfect, but it was working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew exactly where he needed to be, race, qualifying, everything. And we kept changing it just for, I mean, we went from a sim like 12-1 to 
and we were all the way up to a 27 one version that's how many versions had gotten changed who, who authored this, by the way, just to, as a as a curiosity here? Was it just engineers? At yeah, it was engineers that they had down there at the bottom. I mean, Dave. Uh, Dave. You don't, and, I don't care about names. I'm just saying, yeah. uh, like, but it, this was all Hendrick engineers. So, in other words, race, other race teams. I know DEI didn't have this sim, but but did other race teams? I mean, I assume no, that this, this was something a, that Hendrick it, had. It's just an in-house on. Hendrick deal. Okay. You know, now manufacturers are doing. There's sure. way there's plenty of it out there now because sure. all the manufacturers have got into it. But at that particular time is when it's starting to take so, off. So what you're saying is it, it's within the company, but then when others start getting involved and start sort of changing things, it starts messing up basically yours. Yeah, well, just for a simple fact of like I knew 52 percent of dynamic wedge in the center of the corner was right for him. I knew he needed 54 to qualify. And then I would just put the splitter at like 30 thousandths off the ground. Like I had it where it was like I could put the whole car in a simulation mode and know exactly what – because as you change right rear springs, left rear springs, track bars and stuff, you change that dynamic number. Well, I was fixing it to that dynamic number, and he'd go out. It'd have top-down force go. Well, as things start evolving and start changing in the sim, those numbers start changing. Well, now it may not be 52 and 54. Now it might be 50 and 52. Hmm. So you're you're then now you're trying to search for where you're at, and I think at that particular time, like Jimmy was, he was running a, a different sway bar package, at the at the end of that year that he really liked. Well, problem is Dale Jr. didn't like it. Dale Jr. has to feel the right front left rear, and it was like that setup. Every time we ran it, we run like terrible. We could go over there and say, "Hey, I want to run Jimmy Johnson setup." Well, I'd put it in. He couldn't drive it. It just didn't fit what he wanted, and then. And then I started trying to change to make it for him. Well, now I'm an, I'm, I'm on an island, sort of. Like, there's nobody going down this road, and they're like, well, what are you doing? I mean, Ken House, he, he would come over, and he'd be like, so what are you going to Darlington with? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I said, the rest of the company's going like this. We went like this last year and run third, so I'm kind of up in the air. I know if I put this in there, he ain't going to run good. So I want to go this way. And Ken's like, well, that's what I would do. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be on the island because the minute we run bad, now it's like, well, why didn't you run with the rest of the company run? And I said, I feel like I'm getting pulled from both sides. And I said, I don't know what to do. I said, I, my gut tells me to do this, but for my job, it looks like, hey, I'm supposed to do this. Who's applying pressure to you to make you to run the company setups? Well, this this is just the way that it's, that it's rolling, you know, and I'm just like, you know, and, and, and at that particular time, like, I'm, I'm easing down, and I'm not trying to create any waves whatsoever, so I'm getting more and more laid back at this time as far as, like, you know, it's just like I think we had one blow up at Michigan. Like, you went out there and you run, and he, he was mad at me, and we changed something, and he goes, I don't like that. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, this is what we're going to try. He went out and run 42 laps, and the engineer was up on the truck, and I was calling out lap times, and the engineer's pull, pulling on my shirt, and he goes, is he going to come in? I'm like, no, he's not talking right now. <laughs> I said, don't worry about it. And he goes, well, how are we going to get him in? I said, he'll be out of gas in six laps. He'll be in. Don't worry about it. And I think you got out of tr- you got out of the car and you're like, it sucks. And you walked off. <laughs> well, that was the that was the day we won. We won. That was the week. You, that was the, that week was the we, first win. That was the first win. We won on fuel mileage. Oh I'd never God. won one, but he got That's out of car. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's crazy because Latart tells when you went back to Michigan and won with him, you and him were 
at odds all weekend about that too. Like yeah. you were cranky about that weekend, yeah. you know. But it's just, <laughs> you know, it got to the point to where that was, and I think we we had a really bad. It, let me start over. In Daytona in two two thousand nine, mm-hmm. he went down there. He drove through the pit box, parked on the line, lost a lap. Oh, yeah. the 500. 500. God, yeah. He starts coming back up through the field, driving his butt off, trying to make it up. He And he's like, he wrecked Brian Vickers, tried to block you, and yeah. you wrecked him, and you wrecked like 20 Old cars. Field, yeah. And everybody got out and blasted him and said, yeah. you know, you were a lap down, you should have been up there. You know, that that was uncalled for. Well, we had a, we had a car capable of winning that race, mm-hmm. so we did deserve to be up there. You know, we just parked on the line when we got our tires. So everybody made a big deal about it. Well, then the media went after him. Well, then I think we went to California was the next week, and something happened there, and we didn't run good, and then the media went on you again. Was that where – that wasn't the one where mirrors spun in the water. That was our first race together. That was in 08. Yeah. So I don't know – I don't remember exactly what happened. Some, something happened at, at California, and we went to Vegas, and we come off the truck, and we were running bad. And I remember Rick coming up in Ducart, and they took us up in the truck, and they were like, well, what's the problem? And I, or before in practice, I'm standing out there beside the wall, and, I, and he's, he's pissed off. And I was like, look, dude, we were trying some suspension here. Don't worry about it. We're going to put it back. We're going into qualifying mode. Everything's good. No, it's not good. These bitches ain't on your ass now. They're on mine. And I'm like <laughs> – and I looked at my watch, and I'm like, dude, this is the third race of the season. I said, if you're cranky now, you ain't going to make it. He goes, well, everybody's got a breaking point, and I'm at mine. I'm like, it's the third race of the season. You need to chill. And he said, damn it. And he, he goes and qualifies bad. Well, as soon as the practice is over, Rick's there, Ducart's there, and they're like, hey, we need to have a talk. And we go up in the truck, and we're sitting there talking. And it's just a matter of, like, they're like, well, what's the problem? Why are we running bad? Like, you know, these sponsors are paying a lot of money for us to run good, and we, you know, you guys have had a bad year. And I'm like, well, I mean, Daytona, we got blasted because we didn't do that. And, okay, California, I'll take that one on the chin. I'm like, but I said, I got to get my guy's head back right. I said, y'all don't realize. I said, we're like two brothers. I said, he needs a cheerleader. I'm not a cheerleader. I said, when Dale Jr. shows up to Daytona, he's got a full glass of water and ready to drink it all. But when he shows up to Rockingham, (laughs) <laughs> He's got a half a glass, and there ain't nobody going to fill it up. I said, and I'm not that cheerleader. I said, but I said, I'm just telling you. I said, I've took your worst team at Hendrick Motorsports and have won three races with them. I said, there was people over there. I was defending him in the shop because people hated him because his dad wrecked Terry Labonte back in whatever day at Bristol. They're like, we don't like Dale Jr. because he wrecked us back in Bristol. I'm like, for real? For real? We're going to go back to Big E? Wrecking the Kellogg's chicken. You know, I said, if it makes you feeling better, I was happy they did it too. You <laughs> wow, know? there were people in the shop holding yeah. animosity over you that. You need to tell him to quit smoking. That's why he's falling out of the seat. You know, so I'm sitting there, oh, no, he ain't falling out of the seat. You know, well, yeah, he is. That's why we run good and then the second, third race. So I'm sitting here dealing with all this <laughs> BS going on in the shop. I walked, I'll never forget it. I walked over from the 528 or five, it would have been 88, five shop. I walked hey, out of that shop. I walked over to the 2448 shop, and I was walking in there, and I was looking at cars. And I was just looking inside. This guy walks up to the other side of the window, and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just looking around. I said, is that okay? I said, I'm just checking your cars out. Yeah. He says, thank you. 
I said, thank you. Well, you, well, thank you for what? He goes, you're the first crew chief to walk from that shop to this shop in six years. I said, for real? He said, yeah. He said, that's a problem. He says, nobody from that shop will come to this shop. I said, well, if you don't mind, I'll go over and get all 12 race cars and bring them over here and put them in this building if you'll let me. I said, because this shop, it seems like it's run more like what I'm used to with the eight shop. And I said, you know, I said, I love the way y'all do things over here. I said, over there, it seems like it's a little bit of chaos. I said, but it can be all be fixed. I mean, there's, we've got everything that you would ever need in this race shop if you can just make it go. So we, I get in that meeting with Rick and Ducard, and they're asking me all this, and I'm telling them, hey, I've done this with your team, and, like, I need some help. Like, you know, I need this, I need that. And it's like, you know, I feel like I'm sitting out here on an island now. Like, I said, I can promise you. I said, if we can get his head right, I said, he will show up here in the morning. I said, I'm going to go out there and put this setup in the car. Y'all okay with it? Yes. I said, when he shows up in the morning, we'll be at the top of the sheet. Well, what makes you so sure of that? I said, because we've all sat in this room and talked about it. And I said, and he'll have a better head on his shoulder, not worrying about what the media is saying about him. And I said, and when he comes back in here tomorrow, I said, he'll be at the top of the sheet. You really think so? Well, let's just see. You come in the next morning, we were at the top of the sheet. Ducart walked up to me and goes, I don't understand it. I'm like, it's a mind thing. He's, he, if he walks down with his head down and he don't have the confidence, He's not, he's not Dale Jr. Like, he's not. Like, it, it's easy to beat him down, and it's like you got to have somebody lift him up. That's why when him and Latard, I think I even told you, when you had Lance, like, Lance wouldn't lift you up. Like, you and Lance was fighting worse than me and him. For sure. You know, and you can look at the end of the season. The end of the season, they run worse when I left than they did afterwards. And then it was like, I think I'd come up to you at some point after that, and I was like, look, dude, if you're going to run good, you need to get out of that shop. Like, you need to get somewhere else. And I think it was in December or something, they announced that Stevie was going to be your, your yeah. crew chief. Stevie called me up. He's like, hey, man, me, you, and Pops need to go drink beer. I'm like, for what? He goes, you the two are the only ones that's been successful with him, and I need to know all the tricks. And I said, well, the trick is keep his head up. I said, you're perfect because you're a car salesman. Like, you pump him up. And I said, that's what he needs. He needs somebody right now. I said, he's so down on himself and so down. I said, he's got to have somebody to pump him up. I said, he can drive a car as good as Jimmy Johnson. I said, but if his attitude ain't right, he can't. And I said, the biggest thing we got to do with Dale Jr. is get his attitude right. And I think at that time you were building your house, you were sleeping up there in the top of your garage. Like, you didn't have a lot of things going on good in your life. Not good. Not good at all. You know, and it was like – and I think, you know, when, when Amy come along, it you're like me with the kids. Mm-hmm. Like you're at a different level. You're a different, you know, we've all matured. We've yeah. all gotten better. But that's what, you know, I hate it, what happened with you, the concussions, because I think at that you were just getting started. Mm-hmm. Because, it's like, the driving ability is there. There's no question. Well, it's just all about attitude when you come in. Did any of this trigger memories now, going back to 2009 when things started unraveling? What is your response to all of that he just said? I felt more responsible for our split-ups than Tony Jr.'s letting on. I felt – I feel more like when – I could see – like when we were at the test at and you were getting the phone call, I could see the look in your eye like, you can control this, you know. And so – and and there – I didn't really see it in 
05 or 06 when he was trying to tell me, like, look, man, you can change this. But in 09, I felt like he was – I was letting – I was not going to stop Rick from, you know, or Hendrick from making the change. And in my mind, I thought – I felt like if me and Tony Jr. went to Hendrick, man, with what we did at DEI, we could – we could t- we could dominate. We have everything we need, everything, and their stuff is so good. We're gonna be great. And then it's not working out. And I said maybe I just need to step back and not be in the crew chief game and not be in the deciding my fate game. And maybe I'll let these guys that have been doing it here at this shop all these years decide what happens. And they put me with Lance. And I said, all right, if this is what you think is going to make me go win, that's what I'll do. I was wrong about that. You know, eventually, uh, over time, you know, I didn't – and with me and Lance, we, we were awful. And I didn't push back against that. I didn't go in there and say, Rick, I need something different. Rick, you got to change this. I, we just went, I just went on down the road. I'm like, I was getting more and more miserable. And uh, but I wasn't going to go in there. I just was trying to to hope that they were smart enough to know what to do to fix it. They they they're in the business of running race teams, right, and putting their right people in the right positions. And eventually, they made the right choice. Actually, when they came to me, they said, "We're going to swap you and Mark inside the same shop and right. put you with Allen." And I said, "Mark's got one more year." And uh, on his contract, and I said, knowing what I know about what I'm doing with this team I'm with, I I can't move over to Al and then turn around and look at Mark and go, hey man, have fun with that, and right. then run the whole year and have to have to look across the shop at Mark. Mark would have made him better, right? He would have, but I don't know that he. I mean, he would have definitely. He's won five races with Allen. right? And he's, I couldn't sit there and go, well, man, I took I took something that you really loved, and now you're where you are, and it's my responsibility. And so, luckily, Jeff heard about it and said, whoa, whoa, whoa I want Alan. And, I, and they said, would you go to the other shop? Well, hell yeah. I was like Tony Senior. I was like Tony Jr. Damn right I'll go over there. Right. I think if – I think I can't get better here. I can go over there, and if I can get better – it, the only place I can get better is next to Jimmy. Right. And whatever, you know, next to Chad, next to Jimmy. If they'll have me, I think I can perform better over there. And I won't have to worry about taking Mark stuff. That can be Jeff's fault. Right. And, you know, and uh, and that's what happened. No, and I mean, eventually, I mean, I think now they've got all both shops in one building over there. Right. Like, they've, they've went down all. that path. And it's probably because of what they've seen with what we were doing over there. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like – you know, was, you know, when I was over there, Greg Ives, that was the one engineer that was in the 48 shop. I could go over there and ask him any question, and he would hey, take time. Yeah, like me, right? and, yeah, me and Greg, from the day I walked in there, he he's like I consider him a friend because I can call him up at any time and say, "Hey, man, what do you think?" or this or that. You know, so I think the world of Greg, and I mean, even Stevie. I mean, Stevie's a he's upbeat. Like yeah. he's hey, well, y'all this, are this. pals in yeah. the garage years before. Yeah. yeah, so we've had we had fun. You know, it's yeah. like. It, so, I mean, I think everything how, about it was really good. How did you end up back here at Junior Motorsports? Well, <clears throat> when, when you walked out of the door at Hendrick, where did you go? Um, 
I come straight here. Yeah, we well, had, because was, he, he didn't leave Hendrick right away. He yeah, was I went R&D to stuff. I went to the R and D deal, and then I went down there, and that's when we had Brad. Yes. All right. In the so 25. in the twenty five, and we were running five races. They're like, look, we're just going to put you down here in R and D. You and Lance are going to change spots. You're going to go in his spot. Went down there. We had about five people down there. It was great. Right down there by the chassis shop. Like I enjoyed it. Like it was. I could have stayed right there. I mean, Kenny Francis, I think, is down there now. But I could have stayed right there in that little zone because it was all about, you know, developing stuff. You could run simulation. You were doing stuff with the chassis. You know, you'd go to test all the time, try this. Like, you'd sit there and watch what the guys are doing at the shop. And, you know, if Chad and him come up with an idea and, like, hey, can you run this on your car at Chicago? Yeah, I'll run it. I'll tell you everything that happens to it. So that's what I started doing. And we actually ran really good. I think we had a chance to win Chicago, and Boyer put us in the fence on the back straightaway with, like, two to go with Brad. And it was just like – so I had a great time. And then I remember Rick calling me up, and Rick's like, Hey man, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. So it, you know, I'm perfectly happy where I'm at. And he goes, Hey man, I know it was tough on you with the Dale Jr. deal with the breakup and all. He goes, but he said, I've, I've talked to Dale and we appreciate you just being a team player through all that. You doing Brad's deal. He says, I want to make you a, a partner in on Junior Motorsports. And I'm sitting there going, okay. If you know, that's cool. You know, and he's like, you know, we got still got this much on your contract. He says, I can – I'll give you 33% of Junior Motorsports. You can be a partner with me and Dale Jr. And then you can go up there and work with your dad, which I know you'd rather do. And you can just – you can – you don't have to be a crew chief. You can just be an owner. And I'm sitting there going – and at that particular time, I'm, I'm five years looking at – five years I want to get off the road. You know, me and Amy were still married at the time, and I was just like, okay. This this is this is this is more like what I want to go. I've been doing this for twenty years. Like I'm ready to slow down. You know, I'm I'm more getting more and more laid back every every day. So we come up here. Well, as soon as I come up here, I'm working with Dad, and I think Rick called me right before, and he's like, "Hey, man, we can't we can't cut Kelly out. Kelly's been there since the start." I'm like, "No problem. I mean, who cares?" Like. I'm good with it. He said it was going to be me, you, Kelly, and Dale Jr. We all have 25%. I'm like, good. I'm cool with it. Like, let's let's roll. Like, I'm. It ain't about that. Yeah. You know. I said, and so I come up here, and then we then we Danica deal started, and they're like, well, hey, you got to be a crew chief again. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, damn it. You know. And I'm like, I really don't want to do this, but but when after I got to talking to her and all, I was like, I told pops, I was like, man, I said, how many people have ever give a hundred percent? to try to help a girl be a good racer you know i said i I said i'll just give it a shot so i think me and danica got a really good relationship because i'd seen what you went through and and kind of lived it so when when she come here i'm like okay this is what's probably going to come at you from the media be ready for you You need to be thinking about an answer you need to be thinking about this and so when we did that it was like two or three things happened and she was like how'd you know that was gonna happen (laughs) And I'm like, I've been doing it a long time. You've lived the circus. I said, I've done it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, seriously, like California, she went out to qualify. Well, what we figured out was, it's like she was out there running. She'd never been on a two mile in one of these cars. You didn't, you couldn't test. She goes out there and runs. She would pick up almost two tenths every time she'd go out. So 
I was like, man, I could sit here and let her run on the track for 35 more minutes, or I said I could cool it down and run, make her run two laps. I said, I think I could get more out of her if I just do more laps. So I told her, I said, just keep running. Just come in here, think about it, go back out and run. I said, we're not going to do a mock run. Well, she went out to do a mock run. Well, she'd run it just like a race lap. And so she qualified like 36. Well, she come in, and she pulls in the garage, and she's crying. I'm like, what's, what's wrong? She goes, I've never raced. I've never been this bad in my life. I'm like, well, just chill. Just, just stop a minute. I said, I said, first off, I said, there's about 35 reporters standing behind you. And if they see a tear, they are going to eat you up. Mm-hmm. I said, so I want you to just take a deep breath. I said, blame every bit of it on me. I said, just tell them that I wouldn't let you do a mock run, that I thought time was better than that. This is your mulligan. You're here for a year. This is all free, that you're here to get experience to race, and you're looking forward to the race tomorrow. And I said, blame everything on me. I said, 100%. I said, now, just compose yourself. And I said, turn around and go do it. She says, okay, you're, you're all right with that? I'm like, I'm fine with it. Don't worry about it. She spins around. Goes, I go up in the truck. She said it word for word the way I told her. So she comes up in the truck. She said, how'd I do? I said, well, you're not a Southern guy, so next time use your own words. <laughs> I right. said, you said it word for word the way I told you. I said, just, I said, just don't let this stuff bother you. I said, that's the number one thing. I said, I've seen it with him. I said, don't let the, don't let the media bother you. I said, I let them, used to let them get to me. I said, Benny Parson told me one time, if it bothers you, don't read it. Hmm. You know, and I said, so – just keep that composure and i think we run that whole year or whatever and we were here and i mean i was having a great time with with all the guys here you know at the shop but it was it was a struggle we had some guys that had never worked on race cars that were part of the team you know and we we created something yeah you know we ended up running pretty good at some plate races we had some we had some good runs. we had some good runs yeah. you know but it was it was a struggle i mean she i think her biggest problem was um closing rate like with the indy car when you get three cars away from a car you're on them but when you're in a stock car you got to be like on them like you got to be touching them you got to move them or something and that was kind of difficult for her to to pick up she had her struggles at the short tracks mm-hmm. you know but if i took her to vegas or i take her to michigan where there's a big arc oh i take her all day long she arced the corner yeah she would arc the corner when you tell her drive in straight well whenever you told her that she'd, drive, she'd do an arc like him you know, like the IndyCar guys just do this massive arc, and that's the biggest transition between them. You know, but it's like you got to tell her, say, like, just drive in stupid. Like, just drive it in straight and, and work on it. But I think me and her had a lot of conversations like that that just that helped her, and she's like, well, I can't believe you figured that out. Or, you know, you, hey, you knew that or whatever. But yeah. we had a lot of fun here with her. She appreciated you so much that you were uh, part of her final cup race at daytona you came back to crew chief that car for her at daytona uh when she ran the 500 at indy and the daytona 500 the same year so we're getting long on our on our conversation but i wanted to make sure we talked to you about what you're doing now so i know that you went over to fury yep you did you had i want to get you back in here so we can talk about you know a lot of other things but you went to fury and um walked into that shop they built i don't know what they're i don't know what you got going now but y'all built supers super late models and modifieds when you started working there right right what what all has what all is going on now what all are you doing what are you responsible for what's your days look like 
Well, pretty much what we do is we we got like 330 super late model chassis out there now. God. We're all over the U.S. <laughs> we got them in California, Northeast, all around here. Uh, we've got 167 modifieds out there. We we basically have won the championship in the modified series for the last five out of six years, I believe it is. Um, I help Burt Myers up at the uh, stadium a lot, help him with his car. Um, and then we, we built all the chassis for for the SRX series. Mm-hmm. So we started a track day car to try to do some road racing stuff. We took Reddick. Um, we've took um, Ankrum. We've took uh, Kazgrala. We take a bunch of those young guys, and we go to places like Coda, Norlina, and we run a track day car to just give those tra- gu- give in, those guys laps in the Trans Am series or just by itself. It's like an SCCA deal, and a, and it's like they got another class, and it's like a GT4. Mm-hmm. So we can go run this car in that series. Is it competitive? Uh, yeah, I mean the problem is, is it doesn't get fuel mileage. But we can go run a 12-hour race where everybody gets three-hour stints. Wow. So it's just basically getting reps. You know, I think it helped, you know, Reddick. I mean, honestly, he's gotten a lot better road racer, and it's because we've went and done races like this. Yeah. You know, just to get them to shifting gears, how to to brake straight, you know, all this little stuff. Okay. So we've got all that stuff going on. And then then the SRX deal, you know, it works out really well. So I go to all the SRX races. Every race. Every race. I was with Bobby when he won Saturday night. All right. Who's you were the crew chief on the car? Yeah, so we usually get we got four crew chiefs. You get, I basically get four cars because we got thirteen the last two races. So we have four cars. Everybody else has three. Mm-hmm. So like this week, I had Bobby, Bonnie, Newman, Waltrip, and Hunter Ray. So you get to watch, you get to work with all kind of people. Mm-hmm. It's like so I I won uh, Pensacola with uh, Castro Nevis. He was one of my cars down there, so I had him. Um, I had Stewart at Stafford. But Labani, I've been, I've worked with him probably two or three times, and we ain't never really sealed the deal. So, yeah. there Saturday night, it was kind of special because he's, he's been so close so many times, and it mattered to him. It, you could tell. Yeah, and it was like we, you know, and I told him, you know, it was one of them deals. He's like, man, I don't want to screw it up. I've screwed up my car so many times at this deal, and I'm like, look, dude, we're gonna make small changes, and I'm gonna help you. We're gonna, we're gonna get this one. We're gonna finish it. And I mean, he led all 75 laps, and it was just. He he was he was very happy after a race and it's like that was kind of special for both of us because we've worked three or four times together now and we ain't never really because we're like you know we see each other at the modified race yeah. I'll be like I got you this week you know and it's <laughs> like so but you know how low key Bobby is Bobby's yeah. great and that's uh so we we're having a good time with that whole SRX program it's turned out to be a pretty good little deal we go to the dirt tracks for the next two weeks so um, at Peavely. And uh, it ought to be exciting. Schrader's going to race this week, so that's going to be a big deal. So Pops was with you at Fury. What's he doing? Pops is just uh, – he's basically retired now. He does a little bit. We have uh, – we help Justin Bonnet, and there's a John Bolin that run at Pensacola with, and Mobile. With a pro and a super late model. Yep. So we would go down there. Where's travel. those cars at? We have them at Will Jones' car over at his shop. Will over Jones' there. shop. And so Tony Sr. goes over there almost every day? Every day. And he helps piddle with those cars. Yeah, he piddles with them cars, and and Wheel puts on all the Xfinity bodies. Okay. So Pops for builds who? for like Brandon Brown, okay. some of the lower budget teams. So Pops puts all the greenhouses together for him. Okay. He puts That's the roof right. laps in. It's just something for him to tinker with. Something to do. You know, something to do. Yeah. All right. Didn't you? I thought you started Fury. Was that already? No, that was right. a, a company that already Who existed. Who started Fury? Rob Fuller started well. <laughs> the same Rob Fuel Fuller that yep, put the tires on exactly. backwards at Homestead. So we basically had a company called LFR. Full circle. 
LFR. It was LFR. I worked there for for four years, and then me and Fultz and Darius Grala bought LFR the the rights to all the chassis and stuff, and we started the Fury in 2016. So I've been there since 2016. So basically, are you an owner? Yes. You have equity in the business? Yes, sir. And Fultz does too? Yes, sir. He's still there. I see him, him yep. moving around. Yep. Um, and so what's the future? What's the plan? What's the vision? Well, right now we're like, um, you know, our supers are our bread and butter. So we're trying to really do that deal. But, you know, we've got the modifieds basically take care of themselves. But we're just trying to be more involved in this SRX deal. Like it's been a really positive deal for us to people calling about track day cars, uh, you know, there's been some other talks about doing some more stuff with the SRX. So, I mean, basically, that SRX covers our summer months, and then we spend from September till March trying to build new super late models and new modifieds for customers. And then in the downtime, it's like you're traveling all over the country and going to these small tracks. And just, like, I go to every Pensacola race because Helping I want to be drivers. There. Yep, trying to help my drivers. I've been trying to get a guy to come – run the snowball derby with me for a couple of years now so Who? i go to every pensacola race and try Who? to make it good you me yeah run i've told snowball? you i've told you it's true you know i tried to get bobby we were trying to make it to where me and bobby could run the all-american last year yeah. and i was like well Del you might do nashville i don't know i had to get permission slip from him Damn, you know heard that, one. Yeah, man. But, that sounds kind of fun but if you want to do one, we get we got a car where we can hey, do one with. He's about, he's about to go enter a race. Yeah, at I'm going to run the Westboro race. I, I, I know. The car store. I almost brought me a jug today. I was going to stop up here at the top of the hill and get me one, bring it. I knew he was going. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get you I, something from Wilkes County. I, I, no, that purple jug. Oh, oh, that damn jug. I thought you wanted some moonshine. <laughs> Are you going to go to that? I'm I'm sure I'll be up there for yeah. for the for some of the races up there for sure because you'll have cars up there right yep well hey. let's end on that story so we were at um we were at what we were at north Wilsboro, 1995 tony jr carrie kelly me we're all there together um and carrie and tony jr and kelly all race out of kind of the same area in north carolina my shop was down near the south carolina line so i'm kind of on an island we do we do things a little bit our way or Gary Hargett's way, and we had this purple fuel jug. And in the purple fuel jug was the special gas. And and so, anyways, Tony Jr. and his guys, they're there, and they need a little fuel for qualifying, top the car off, whatever. So all the jugs are kind of right there together. All our trailers are together. And and somebody went to – Sonny went to get the gas. Sonny McCurdy. Yep. He, he went, was our truck driver for Xfinity Team. And the war team. started. He went and get the can, and the, and one of my guys said, whoa, 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 you can't have that one. And he's like, why? What's it? What's They all got gas in them. What's the big deal? He's like, no, 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 no not that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, he was, and they both got a hold of it, pulling and oh, yeah. out like in front of the whole garage or the whole – everybody's like, what the hell going on? Yeah, we're like, what's wrong with them? What's 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 so special about that gas jug? Yeah. Uh, so you saying he needs to take one up there in August? Oh, it's just purple it's just a it's just a, it's just a memory. Jug. Like we always laughed about that. Hey, I'm like, with you. Yeah. We'd sit there, we'd be in a race and be like, hey, we we need a little more speed. It's like, hey, I need that purple jug. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just like if we ever needed a caution, it was like, hey, I'm getting hungry. I need a slice of pizza. That's yes. right. Wasn't that it? Yep. There, there was codes for everything. There was yep. codes for uh, needing a caution. There was codes for I need a cigarette. Yep. 
There's was, all kind of stuff. Yeah, there was a guy that raced a pep, uh, Pizza Hut car at Myrtle Beach, and Tony Jr. come up there to race with me, and uh, he he come up there with his own car, and he's like, hey, man, he's asking me about the car, what it's going to do, what, to tighten it up, loosen it up, whatever. We go race, and I, he says I told him the wrong thing, and uh, there's this guy in the Pizza Hut car pulls over on the back straightaway in the middle of the race, and everybody, and then Kosh comes out, and he cranks it up and drives away. And he asked, he asked Hargett, he's like, Hargett, what the hell deal is that Pizza Hut car? And Hargett said, well, I had to order a pizza. He's about to get laughed. <laughs> oh, I never knew the backstory yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. So we had a guy down there. We get close to, you know, we need a caution. We had a guy that slowed down. That was uh, awesome, dude. I, I don't even want this to end, man. We got it. We got like there's so many other. We things. didn't even get you. Yeah, that's the great thing about the podcast. We can have him come back. I love having you in the room, man. I appreciate it, man. I've, I've, I'm glad to be here. Me and Mike got on the phone last night, and we talked about all the breakups and the get back togethers, and we surmised that we are, we are, we are brothers. Uh, we we treat each other like brothers. We love like brothers, and we fought like brothers, and we held each other accountable. You don't mind telling me the truth, and vice versa. And I think that's why we, you know, why we matter to each other because there's not many people in your life that'll 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 be that honest, right? Right, and hold hold you accountable. And um, but I'll tell you, man, I can't wait to have you back because there's so many so many wonderful memories uh, way back to racing around that number two car sitting outside of Mamaw's or Ralph Earnhardt's garage in 1980. Right. Um, and staying up all night in Robert G's house watching horse racing on New Year's oh, Eve yeah. one night, you know, back in the 90s, just doing stuff, you know, having fun being kids. But anyways, hope you're uh, hope you're having fun and doing well and enjoying what you're up to. Going to keep our eye out for you. I see you everywhere doing something and i love it uh great to hear about how these kids have impacted your life and how special that is to you giving you more purpose every day uh thanks for spending some time with us today the listeners are gonna love it i appreciate it man and like i said anytime i mean we've we could sit down and write a book sometime we could write a lot of stories about it we sure for sure could. we'd have to get everybody together in the same room so we could tell them yep all right that was a fun one tony jr on the dale jr download you know, Mike, whether I've been in the garage, right, as a driver or in the studio as a member of the media, the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is that we are all better off with an ally, a friend, a partner. My favorite part of the download has always been the opportunity it gives me to connect with such a wide range of people. They love racing as much as I do, and it means so much to me that when we leave the guest segment, I leave it with a feeling that I can call each and every guest on the download a true ally. Thank you, Ally, for your continued support of the show and the entire Dirty Mo Media team. All right, guys, it's finally time for the best part of the show. I'd like to hear what other people's opinions are about this, Mike. Is it the best part of the show? It certainly is for me because we get to include all of our listeners and uh, it's the Ask Junior part brought to you by Xfinity. Let's take a look at the questions that have been sent in to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. All right. The first one here is from Ryan Goodrum. And we're going to go ahead and jump into a pretty, I wouldn't say controversial, but a pretty interesting one. 
He says, Ask Junior, Ryan Ellis tweeted a few days ago about someone trying to steal his sponsor. Are there any unwritten rules about this sort of thing? And if so, how do you handle that? No, there aren't any rules. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's sponsors are so hard to come by. It really comes down to whether if your buddy has a sponsor and that sponsor is, uh, you know, something that you could attain. Well, it, it depends on how, you know, whether you can live with the fact that you have taken that sponsor and that opportunity away from your friend. Now, you know, maybe it's a, if it's a car on the other side of the garage, you don't know that owner, you don't know that team, but that sponsor comes to you and says, we like your operation, we want to talk to you about becoming a part of your program, we see what you're doing, we like the driver or whatever the reason is, absolutely you got to entertain it. And uh, if you can make it work, you make it work. Uh, this happens more times uh, than not in the garage. A lot of teams and sponsors have moved from car to car throughout the years. And a lot of times there's more to it than, man, this guy stole my sponsor. A lot of times that sponsor might be reaching out or that guy might see something uh, in that sponsor that, that he could deliver uh, value to them. Uh, maybe there's a match between the driver and the actual service that the sponsor provides. All those things play a role. So, um, yeah, I know, I, you know when we lose a sponsor or anything, if somebody hires away a mechanic, a crew chief, if we lose a driver uh, to, you know, I, I want our teams, I want our guys to graduate to the cup level, but when we lose somebody to a different organization uh, in the same series, I get angry. You get a chip on your shoulder, even though it might make sense, even though it's, you know, it's something that they wanted or that, that person wanted. Uh, it's hard not to be annoyed uh, and competitive about it because in your mind you believe that you provide the best working environment, the best opportunity for these people to succeed, the best opportunity for the drivers, the best fit for the sponsors, the best marketing for the sponsors, the best impact. You think that your business and you can do that better than anyone. And for when, you know, to be rejected – or 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 somebody takes something from you in your in your mind it's it's hard to deal with but there aren't any uh there's no code uh when it comes to sponsors sometimes uh sometimes with sponsors but a lot of times with people crew chiefs and uh tire changers um if they leave they can't they, they'll they might sign an agreement mike that they can't work for x competitor or there'll be some contingency yeah, non-compete right non-compete that's what they call it and so uh, where they have to sit on the sideline for a little while, you've kind of been in on the middle of some of these sponsor deals. I think you just nailed it on the head there that you take it personal. It almost feels like you're getting dumped, you know, yeah. like when, back when you're dating. Like there may be other reasons. And you know what? That girl actually might like somebody else better than she liked you, but it's just hard to, to ration. That's why I understood Ryan Ellis's uh, uh, perspective and vantage point. However, I would also say you're right. There are no rules. And also – Usually, when it feels like somebody's stealing a sponsor, it's not actually stealing a sponsor. I mean, like you said, sometimes there's there's legitimate reasons and business reasons and money. It all goes into it, but it's not a steal. It just feels like a steal because nobody likes getting rejected. Well, I, I'm friends with Ryan, and I don't know who it is, and I won't say, and he won't say because he's he's respectful of it. But he has warned this particular person to stop doing this yeah okay so i don't yeah i don't know that situation at all but um and it, it doesn't feel any better i'm just saying that at the end of the day 
people can poach sponsors or they can go approach other sponsors all they want. If you offer a better opportunity in the competitive market, yeah. you need to stand on that. Give them a better – make them regret if they leave you. You know, be uh, – give a better return of value. That's what you just have to strive to do, and then let the chips fall as they may, I guess. I mean, you know, I hate it for Ryan, though. Yeah. What Ryan did as far as warning that guy happens as well. Even at the very top, between some of the biggest owners and names in the sport, if an owner is in a, uh, a difficult position or a vulnerable position, he might reach out to the other guys and say, hey, look, give me a minute here. Don't don't come in here and tear this apart. Let me, you know, this is important that we maintain this relationship. Uh, so they will communicate back and forth. Hey, I really like this guy. Don't take him. Maybe, you know, maybe an owner or a team has reached out to a crew chief or a, man, a, manage, right. a management position type person, and that person goes to that owner and says, "Hey, they reached out to me. Uh, they offered me this job. What? What? I really want to take it. They might." You know, they might call uh, uh, Hendrick or or Gibbs might call a Penske or somebody and say, "Hey, we want to keep this guy, y'all. You know, we'd really love to keep this guy." Um, and so, you know, we don't want to leave, let him leave, and and let's work this out. So, um, there's there are some of those conversations I think happen behind the scenes sometimes. Yeah, hundred percent. On the next one here, on the uh, trend of talking about Atlanta and such, uh, Jan asks, do you have a favorite Braves player, past or present? Oh, man. My dad and Jody Davis, Jody was a catcher, and they were hunting buddies. And so I kind of – Jeff Blauser and dad knew each other a little bit. Um, Dave Justice was kind of cool. Uh, there. I mean, there was all the there were all the names from the '90s from those teams. I was a I was a fan of pretty much all those guys at that point, and um, so. But I would have to say, Justice was probably the biggest big name back then. I mean, you know, they throw out some names. Why? Did, why I was did, a big Mark Lemke fan because really? he was like like a one of those utility players, yeah, yeah, always was, dirty, man, you know. Man. Uh, and and if you if you're a Braves fan and you don't love the moment where Sid Bream comes, you know hobbling around third base in the National uh, League Championship Series for that heroic slide into home plate yeah. uh, against the Pirates. I interviewed uh, him about that. Did you? Yeah, I did an uh, interview with him back when I was a sports writer. Uh, listen, if we're gonna have this conversation, I don't even know why they're asking about the Braves. Is are you are you a Braves fan or something? I didn't know that. Uh, but. I- was so when the dad was a Braves fan, so I was a big Braves fan, it. and so when they had that great run in the '90s, Smoltz and all those guys, Maddox, uh, Tom Glavin, I was a big, I was watching all those seasons, especially postseason. Right, you tune in, in the postseason and try to figure out what was going on. But uh, well, if we're gonna have the conversation, Chipper was Chipper was definitely a big deal. Big deal. We had him on the show, so you know I've got some baseball cards of his. We can't have the conversation, though, without somebody going on the record and saying Dale Murphy and then uh, Rick Camp. Bob Horner <laughs> from that era. Hmm. Rick Camp was the, the relief pitcher that came up and hit a home run. You, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember you, that. YouTube it. It's great. Yeah. All right. So there's. I'm not a massive Braves fan, but there you go. There you go. Um, next one here comes from Alan Bedgood. He says, what was your least favorite part of being a driver? And what's your least favorite part of being a broadcaster? Sorry. My least favorite part of being a driver was being away from home, traveling. I like to be at home and would have projects and hobbies and stuff and having to 
plug in, unplug, plug in, unplug was was tough. My bet, my favorite part about being a broadcaster, least favorite. or least favorite, least favorite part about being a broadcaster is probably the nerves and anxiety. So, you know, I work hard not to let this happen, but I, I, I would probably, I, I could see this easily happening. I'll be so nervous about doing play by play this weekend in New Hampshire that I'll be a miserable sob all week. And so, <laughs> Amy will be like, "Hey, what's wrong?" I'll be like, "Nothing." She'll look at me, I'll be like, okay, I'm just nervous. You're going to be fine. I know, but I'm nervous. I can't stop being <laughs> nervous, all right? That's exactly Will how you, that's going to go. And then she'll, like, she'll, you know, <laughs> yeah, it'll be affecting her week, and I, I'll, I'll feel terrible about that because I'll be just so, I'll be so blah. When will yeah. that kick in? Wednesday, Thursday, something like that? Or I don't know. Ho- hopefully, I'm trying to not let it kick in, Good. right? Uh, I love it. He's 100% right. That's exactly those weeks. <laughs> Uh, it's a week-long process yeah. there. For the six hours when we had it, I had an hour stint where I was by myself, and I was so nervous leading up to it because I had to cover the whole pit road. Dylan's like, are you okay? You're being distant. And yes. I'm like, I'm just so nervous about this hour that I have to do that you almost get sick, yes. and you just want to, like, hold yourself up because right. you're so nervous. Yeah, so that's what I'll do this week, and that's probably the – that, <laughs> I, I, that's the worst. That is probably the, the most um, – Least, least fun part of, about the whole thing just being I, nervous yeah i know i need to push myself to to put to to go into these spaces look rick allen is insanely good at his job and he belongs in that position 1000 percent. but if you know given the opportunity i'm trying to push myself into that role in those rare moments even though i know how good he is and how how hard this job is to do i gotta do it and even though i don't enjoy the the how anxious i get and i don't enjoy the discomfort for some reason i think i'll regret it if i said look i don't want to do the play-by-play ever just just put me in there as an analyst and i'm just going to do that i probably would regret that i didn't try it more because it is exhilarating like you you get in there once the race begins and you're on the broadcast and you've gotten past the on camera it's, you're good. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You just got to laugh it off. You got to tell people, hey, man, I know you're, you know, as a, as a viewer, you're, 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 you get a third rate play by play guy here. You don't have the top guy, the A guy in there right now. I understand that you don't have that. And I'm, I'm just trying to make my way. But uh, it's fun as hell. It's kind of like anything else. You know, you get asked to introduce uh, Lincoln Park at the MTV Music Awards. Sounds like a great idea. Yes, I'll do it. And then in that moment, from that moment till it happens, <laughs> you want to throw up. Yeah. And this is weeks. Thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. This is weeks leading up to it. You're like, why did I do this? Why did I agree to do this? And, and then and you then take you out go, everybody that's around you, and too. And then you go do it. And after you're, do, after you're done, you're, you're fist pump in the air. Like, <laughs> freaking, hey, did you see that? Yes, that was amazing. So fun. <laughs> it's the it's the weirdest. <laughs> I don't know why we're like that, or I'm like that, but yeah. All right, here's the last one for this week's Ask Junior. Comes from James <laughs> Maples. It says, "A few weeks ago, you said the Xfinity series potentially lacked some identity. Would you consider putting V6s back in the Xfinity cars to gain <laughs> some identity? If not, what changes would you make to yeah. achieve that?" Yeah, I don't know. I think that that's not a yeah. It's silly sounding, but this is actually right on the money i don't know if it's you know six cylinders are the answer but the 
the Xfinity series, the truck series, and the cup series have to matter to the manufacturer. The truck series matters to the manufacturer because of well, their trucks, right? They sell trucks. Yeah. They sell trucks. The cup series matters because that's the elite top series and they, they, they sell sedans, right? So the Xfinity series has kind of lost its purpose. What is its purpose to the manufacturer? The pony car thing was cool for a while, but it's you know they're, the, the manufacturers obviously aren't married to selling pony cars every year, right? And it doesn't they, they can sell them regardless. Um, you know the Camaro or, or the Mustang or whatever. I don't think that the Xfinity series is having a huge impact on auto, automotive sales in that, that market. There needs to be a bigger purpose for the manufacturers or some specific you know, a specific purpose for the manufacturers to want that Xfinity series to be there, whether it's a type of engine, like this this fellow mentioned, could be that, uh, the electric car. None of us love the idea of an electric series in stock car racing. I don't think any of us really love it. No. Right? Do you love it, Mike? No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. So, um even though we don't love it, hey, we didn't love the number change. It happened, even though we might not still love it. It's here. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I don't like. I mean, the number move didn't like it then. Don't like it now. But I'm okay. Yeah. You hear me? It ain't gonna me? stop you from outside watching. of this moment. You hear me complaining about it? So yeah, but at least a V6 would make noise. All right. Um, whatever. Whatever. That that I. They would make noise, but that doesn't. I mean, let's get back to to the point, Matthew and. If you're a manufacturer and you build, you know, Matthew Motors and you're selling cars and trucks, you're pretty good because you got the truck series and you got the cup series. But the Xfinity series doesn't really matter to you because what does it do for you, right? Let's find out what that series can do for Matthew Motors, okay? If Matthew Motors needs to sell freaking six-cylinder cars, then maybe that's what the Xfinity series should be. Maybe it's four cylinders. I don't know, right? Whatever it needs to be. SUVs. <laughs> I've heard NASCAR throw that idea around. What? Yes. Oh, my God. I Minivans know, right? with car seats. No kidding, <laughs> no kidding right? <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. The entertainment center in the backseat right. for kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will never. I will not have a shot full of SUV <laughs> race cars. I will not. Oh, man. All right. Well, that is it for this week's Ask Junior. Well, those are some great questions. I'll be honest with you, man. Those were fun, and uh, we had some good laughs. Don't take everything we say to heart. <laughs> all right. So thank you for uh, all those great questions for the Ask Junior segment. Xfinity X5, it's more than fast. It's also reliable, powerful, and secure. That means you can do more of what you love with faster internet. That is true. You can keep your team connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed that your devices need so your crew can stay in the fast lane on race day. Remember, everyone, to send your Ask Junior questions to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Before we hit the road, thank you to Xfinity, a proud premier partner of NASCAR. All right, Mike, that was a great show. Tony Jr. was awesome. Awesome to be able to catch up with him, see everything that he's got going on, and it was great to talk Atlanta. Man, I wish we had more time to do Dirty Air, brought to you by Filter Time, but we just can't, can't – we could sit here and do a whole show on this race this weekend. It was even a fantastic Ask Junior, actually. So, it like, was. the whole show was uh, a lot of One fun. One of my favorite shows, all right? Episode 389. It's in the books, everybody. Have a great weekend. Check out Dirty Boat Media.
Check out Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Thank <laughs> you.